0: Ten minutes, and I speak to him alone. Ten minutes tops, or it's over when I say it's over. exactly the way it's going to be, Diane. You control the curtain and the microphone. And we're very appreciative. What would you say your name was again? Tammy.
1: Fuck you, Tammy. Drop it. Duncan and both come correct.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls. See what I did there? children of all ages uh welcome back to uh duncan and bo go to twin pixies uh colon the returnsies uh colon episodes seven and eight um so uh first of all i would like uh to introduce our co-host duncan mcleish of the podcast under the stairs uh also my good friend I feel this is so formal. I feel like we're almost starting to show like a real podcast, and that doesn't feel right to me, but let's do it anyway. Uh, Duncan, how are you, sir?
3: This is the water, and this is the well. Drink full and descend. The horse is the white of the eyes, and dark within.
2: I, w- I wish I had a like thump sound at the ready, like I just
3: passed <laughs> out when you said it. Uh, like I watched, I watched episode eight like about an hour and a half ago, Ooh. and um, so you're not right. I, oh, like yeah, I, I made a bold statement many episodes ago that it might be my favorite episode of TV that's ever existed, and yeah, on second watch, I'm I'm sticking with that bold claim. And uh, we get to talk about it, which is amazing. Yeah, I, I'm very excited for this one. This is the one that we have been building towards for for quite some time. Um, I want to say about two months ago, I reached this stage in the show, it was following it week by week, and I watched this episode, and just like you said, the the brain kind of broke a little bit. And I was like that, I refuse to go any further now. We are entering territory, which I just do not want to venture in without my good buddy Bo. So I put it on hold, and then I said, as and when... We get up to that point from from the point that we finally reach episode eight. I will then continue watching the TV show. I have pretty much successfully managed to avoid uh, details about exactly what happens moving forward with the season. It has, however, finished in the interim. And um, I'm really excited to reach the end because what I was seeing online was that apparently David Lynch didn't finish it uh, um, in a way which uh, satisfied everyone. No, In fact, some people, some people have said that he even finished it crazily. You know, like crazy, maybe slightly open ended, maybe not tying up everything. And I was like, no, not 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 David Lynch. Not no. How's any? Not that guy. No, <laughs> like, you wouldn't do that. No. Uh, and it's made me really excited to see how it ends because I have not fucking clue. So yeah, this is this is the this is the culmination of so many exciting things and the prospect of so many more exciting things to come over what will be another five weeks of recording and that's us done. Yeah, yeah. I but
2: I, I agree. I'm like I'm excited for the same reasons because we get to talk about this great episode, but also because I can now watch two more episodes in good conscience.
3: Yeah. and
2: yeah. i want to know what happens next um
3: <laughs> finishes on a bit of a bit of a loose end this one so <laughs> yeah so
2: but which i i don't <laughs> expect to see a resolution to in the next two episodes quite frankly but maybe
3: no maybe who <laughs> knows me if episode nine continues along as if episode eight never happened Bo.
2: <laughs> yeah yeah I, I entirely possible uh Anyway, Alright, so we're going to get into all that. Uh first uh before we talk about movies and whatnot, I did want to uh make a mention we do have listeners uh here in the states in both uh Texas and Florida and Florida is about to be rocked apparently yes. by uh by a hurricane. So, uh obviously, you know, thoughts and best wishes are uh with those folks if you're in Florida. I I know for a fact we have folks uh down there right now. Um, yeah. you know, for god's sakes be careful uh you know charge up the phone we'll keep you company just start back yeah. at the beginning pete Martel.
3: <laughs> no we promise not to do that again but... uh, no uh
2: and and also uh as always our special uh cautionary shout out to the witch uh who of course lives in a country where every living thing is designed to cocoon him and sap him from him his essential fluids um
3: well, this, this is like I made a point um, at my work two days ago uh, when someone was moaning about the fact that summer has not been great in Scotland for another year. Apparently, the sun did not don its hat and come out to play as much as people hoped it would. To which I returned by saying, the the glum, grey, overcast Scottish summer is a small price to pay for. No dangerous land animals, no dangerous or poisonous insects and no chance of hurricanes, earthquakes, typhoons or tornadoes or tsunamis. The list goes on and on. If that is the price to pay for none of those bad things is that the sun just comes out a couple of days a year, I will happily live with that. And everyone else should live with that because some of the images I've seen on my TV in the last week and a half, From America, had had made me blessed to to know that I I will never experience weather like that. Um, it's it's wholly incredible, and yeah, thoughts thoughts and well wishes to anyone that that is affected or anyone that knows anyone who is affected by it. Which I I dare say that in America there's you know it's going to be like two degrees of separation for something like that with the states that is hit. So yeah, uh, like both say thoughts go out to you.
2: Um. Yeah, so uh, on to more entertaining things, and uh, um, boy, you know, it is it is hard to transition out of horrifying hurricanes, it turns out. Yes. Uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, w- before we get into uh, Twin Peaks, and also uh, a note for our listeners, um, we're going to talk about it, and we're going to spoil it, uh, yes. spoil yeah. the fuck out of it. Uh, We're not going to do it in this segment. That's where Game of Thrones would have been. That's where we're going to talk about it. Uh, First, we're going to talk about what we've been watching. Not it. Not it. Uh, How's Annie? Um, How's Annie? Oh, God. I love Twin Peaks so much, Duncan. it might
3: be the best thing that's ever existed
2: (laughs) it really might be i the more like the deeper i go into it the more i think i'm i'm narrowing the number of people i can successfully talk to on a daily basis so uh but like i said uh we're gonna we're gonna talk about what we've been watching duncan uh what have you been watching of note other than the film it
3: Ah, I'm glad you asked, Bo. Um, So Arrow Video recently put out their kind of UK release remaster of Psycho 2, which um, I had only ever seen once. And believe it or not, that was only in the last three years. Psycho is one of those uh, franchises that, like, I had seen the original and I've seen the original many, many, many times. I've seen the remake once and once was enough. Um, in my opinion, and in fact, that's a lie, I've seen it twice because I covered it on a podcast under the stairs as one of the bad remakes. Um, so have seen that movie twice, I, but I never went through, in fact, I, I didn't realise to the full extent, I knew there was a cycle 2, but I was not aware of uh, 3 and 4, uh, which I still have not seen to this day. But I watched uh, Part 2 a couple of years ago on the recommendation of some other podcasters and thoroughly enjoyed it. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Thought it was it was campy where it needed to be campy. Um, I actually quite liked the premise for it, and I thought the the kind of death reveal at the end of, of the movie was very sinister and it came out of the blue. Uh, so I watched it again remastered, and I I come back to that again. I think it is a it is a really really good sequel to a movie which one didn't need a sequel and two um could have easily been fucked up like horribly horribly fuck up that that uh, sequel to that movie. You wouldn't have to do all that much um, to to make it an absolute train wreck and they d- they don't do it. Um and I mean it's it's, it's helmed by a like a, a very good director, a guy that did uh, I think it was Road Games, um, did that movie and you know was a, a big fan of Hitchcock and um, as such, you know, was given the given the task. But I I just think it's weird that, you know, because there is such a time period between sequels, uh, between the original and the sequel, and it made me think about what's happening nowadays with this trend of, you know, let's let's do a, a sequel, nay, a kind of remake sequel to a movie. Most notably this year we saw uh, Rings uh, come out, which had a sizable amount of time with it. it, was continuing the story of a franchise along, and it was just boring. Like, yeah. holy, holy, holy boring. And it, it made me wonder if Cycle 2 is the rare exception to that rule of a movie that has a sequel where the sequel comes out so many years after the original, like many, many, many years. So much so that it's really entering a brand new audience. I mean, you could have grown up and became the age of watching, you know, in the cinema, Psycho 2. By the time that movie comes out, you know, it was in the 80s and the original came in 1960. So you could have been of adult cinema going age. You could have been drinking age in America by the time Cycle 2 comes out. So not fully lived through the experience of the original coming out. And that second movie is really good and it holds up. Is it the exception to the rule? I can't think of any other sequel which comes at a sizeable period of time after the original that really works. I, I I'm struggling because generally sequels come out kind of more short term. I think it's I think it's maybe potentially the only one.
2: Blade Runner twenty forty nine.
3: Um, well, yeah, I mean that but we've not seen it yet. And it maybe, be bad, but we don't know. Um, it's just a weird one. I I can't think of any that have done that, and it makes me wonder why. I mean, because Psycho two ostensibly is a different sort of movie, you know, they, they play it completely, they pitch it completely differently I mean, even Norman Bates, you know, played by Anthony Perkins, plays the role differently um, it's, it's a weird one It's one of those anomalies of a movie that probably shouldn't work, but works really well
2: Yeah, I, I haven't seen it in a very long time, I need to go back and revisit it, but uh, notably, it is written by Tom Holland uh, mm-hmm. director of Child's Play and Fright Night, so, yeah, you know I mean, there, there's a pedigree to the film and I think time has been kind to it, you know, that the expectations of a sequel to Psycho are so deliriously high, mm-hmm. there's no way to make a good sequel to Psycho, at least upon its arrival, you know? Yeah. And But I, again, with the benefit of time and, you know, decades have passed, and now when you look at Psycho 2 as, as being this sort of very tonally different response to the original Psycho. Uh, it, it, it's a very interesting movie and, and, and a pretty good one as it turns out. I need mm-hmm. to go back and watch it again. It, it really is a movie I haven't seen and, um, near, nearly, uh, recently enough, but, uh, I recall it being like the last time I watched it a few years ago, it seems like it was, uh, a, like well worth the time. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, Duncan, Oh. uh, I finally got around to watching the Belco experiment.
3: Oh, right. (laughs) This could be quite interesting, because it it plays heavily into a movie that we both love, which is Asian. So, um, (laughs) because it it has shades of Battle Royale running through it.
2: Right. Well, yeah, I mean, Battle Royale, uh, I would almost say, oh, God, what is the name of that movie? Kill something? Hang on. I'm going to get it for you, (laughs) because I was watching it just the other day. Kill Devil is the name of the movie. Oh uh also an asian film turns out that there are a number of asian movies about a bunch of kids trying to kill each other uh <laughs> so it's a it's a theme um so yeah this was the, directed by the dude that did wolf creek yeah greg mclean directed it uh written of course by james gunn it stars mm-hmm. a guy we like a lot john gallagher jr from uh, Oh yes. hush uh mm-hmm. he he's quite good in it um uh, john c mcginley who is a dude i dearly love and yeah he's good. I he is good. I feel like he's a little bit underused. It was kind of nice to see Tony goldwyn show back up. Mm-hmm. It was like, yeah, yeah. "Oh, hey. I remember when the spirits dragged you to hell and ghost. Welcome back to <laughs> welcome to the party, pal." Um <laughs> But so I'm just getting out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What <laughs> finally
3: able to claw his way out of the netherworld. I, it turns out, it turns out he learned no lessons at all cuz he's right back to being a complete dickhead. So
2: yeah, he's a, <laughs> he's a real asshole. And you know, the movie has very overt commentary about the workplace environment and, you know, uh hierarchy and all that kind of shit. Um, you know, it it is that kind of movie, but I will say I liked how gleefully gory it was.
3: Oh yeah, it's a ton of fun.
2: It, yeah, And that was the big thing, is like, it's not a heavy movie, it's uh, got like a 90-something minute runtime, I mean, this thing trucks along, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, sorry, hour 28. Um, but yeah, it, it was a, a great, fun time, and, and I like the fact that it doesn't fuck around, like, James Gunn is a good enough writer, that's like, oh, yeah. look, all we gotta do is establish these characters very, very quickly, and then let's get to it. Mm-hmm. And and does a great job of that. There, there's one character in particular who's kind of a survivor in the movie that you see a bunch. It's the the lady in the elevator, if you remember that. Yeah. And there's a kind of this anonymous death uh, for this character that you've been following for some time. That I thought was pretty shocking, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, it, I, I thought it was again a really good time, not a classic of the genre or anything. But if you want to see a uh, a good gory Sometimes silly, but mm-hmm. in a very darkly comic way, uh, movie. Then uh, you could do a whole lot worse than the Belko Experiment. That movie's yeah. okay. And
3: another Blumhouse entry as well. I mean, they've they've just been on. I mean, they've been on a tear for for the last couple of years, but this year in particular, it was. I mean, we got in the in the running order. Belko Experiment came out in March. Um and the month before that they put out Get Out and the month before that they put out Split so
2: well but look uh, at look at the people behind that I mean I've got my problems with M Night Shyamalan yeah but, you know I, I, he's no slouch like no, <laughs> it, no. it ain't his first time behind the camera you've got him you've got Greg McLean you've got James Gunn scripting it uh you know you've got um uh shit like all all the um James Wan kind of off offshoot yeah. shit. So, yeah. like, I mean, it's not like Blumhouse is going after first timers for the most part. They're no, getting no, heavy I, hitters to do little movies I, that are great.
3: Yeah, I, 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 and once again, I don't know whether or not that's them getting those directors to do that. In the case of the Belco experiment, that's the direct. You know, the director. Uh, you know, in most cases, when it comes to to the Blumhouse method of making movies, the directors pitch the ideas to Blumhouse. And a Blumhouse like it, it's signed off and it goes. You know what I mean? And they, they've already said that if you, they'll almost accept anyone in to do that to an extent. Um, but I get the feeling that it's a, it's a mechanism that allows horror directors, uh, especially established horror directors, to get something out um, in between larger studio projects. You know, it's, it's this idea of, well, you know, why wait for... This project, which is taking ages to sink in and do all the rest, when I can, you know, pen a script, like quickly, uh, go in and make a pitch to Blumhouse and get my, you know, guaranteed five million to make the movie, and I go away and move it, you know, and and with that sort of framework, um, is it's on a very rare occasion that a, a Blumhouse movie doesn't make back its money and then some. In um, the case of those ones, even Belko experiment did surprisingly well. Um, you know, for for the sort of movie it is, it's going to play to the to a uh, a particular horror fan. Not all horror fans are going to get into that movie, but I think it did really well across the board. It was really well marketed in the UK, and it did well over here. So. And that wasn't off the back of, there was no, like the Belco experiment was promoted over here, not because it was from the director of Will Creek and penned by the guy behind guardians of the galaxy. You know, it was just look at this really fun trailer. Look how gory it is. Look at the workplace humor, go and watch it. And people went to see it. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a surprisingly fun little movie that you need to have no brain power at all to watch. Um, which I, I kind of love. I, I like those movies, especially when you're, you are immersed in, um, what will be essentially about a, what an eight month run of podcasting, looking at twin peaks, a movie like the Belco experiment is a little break for the brain. Yeah.
2: And, and it was really enjoyable on that level for sure. Uh, so Duncan, yes, uh, a little movie came out over the weekend, a little independent film. Uh, you might've heard about, uh, based on a book or something. Uh, it's <laughs> called It's called It, uh, directed <laughs> by a guy named uh, Tony Muschietti. Uh, Muschietti over here. Over
3: here, the fucking balls in this guy bowl.
2: Hey, fucking directing it like a man
3: over here. Uh, anyway, so... Whose <laughs> previous movie was Mama.
2: Which is a fine film. I, like yeah. I, I don't think it's a great movie, but it's certainly
3: good. Yeah, like um, as a as a like coming out with your I think and that was his first studio movie. Um it wasn't a terrible movie at all. So I mean, a, a big jump up for him helming this, but I don't even think that when he started work on this project he expected it to be as big as it's gotten. Yeah, and so
2: that's one of the things that I I kind of wanted to talk about with uh, alongside the movie itself is that uh, there are things about the movie that, that kind of bother me, that, that, that you know, t- tickle at the back of my brain that keeps me from completely loving the film. All right. Uh, that said, I absolutely love the fact that people are talking about this movie, that it, it's successful, and I, I, it absolutely deserves to be a successful horror film. It's mm-hmm. it, it, it deserves that, if nothing else. And... Uh, so even though I've got my complaints about it, I'm still not. I, I never get down on this movie uh, at all because it's like I just love that everybody's talking about fucking Pennywise the clown, and 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 like normies, not just horror folks, like yep. random run-of-the-mill folks on the street are talking about you know Pennywise the dancing clown and and uh, and the movie it and it. It makes me excited. I'm glad that it's become this kind of pop culture thing because pop culture is fickle, and sometimes yeah. a thing that ought to be big just isn't.
3: And yeah. you some- can't for- you can't force it at all, and it's it's unpredictable. Um, I've said many times that to me when Behind the Mask came out, I was like, we we are in such a fr- you know kind of rich fertile environment for movies. I can't wait to see where the next chapter takes us. And they have not been able to secure funding at all for a second movie for years. And they've tried Kickstarter many times and just it's went nowhere. And to me, Leslie Vernon was this, he was going to be the next big icon of kind of horror cinema. I just loved it. I thought it was a great character. No, it's, it's weird. It's, like to me, that one's the obvious one. Um, it's right up there beside Ghostface. But no, you, you you just don't get that. And then when you think of the... I mean, as right, everyone, everyone our age has seen the TV movie it. Oh, like they have. Like they had. It's just it was a thing that went round, and everyone saw. So yeah, it's in the cultural kind of as in the cultural zeitgeist to an extent, it's in our lexicon. But what is not is something that has been relentlessly marketed and pushed since then. I mean, we're talking. What was it, nineteen ninety, ninety one? Yeah, it
2: was, it I out? think ninety. I'm almost positive it was nineteen ninety. So twenty seven yeah. years ago, interestingly enough, interestingly it returns. Enough.
3: <laughs> yeah. So, but that, but how often has that been? You know, you you're not walking into to, to a hot topic and seeing a Pennywise the clown T-shirt. You know what I mean? It's it's not been like, like when you think of a Freddy or a Jason. Uh, you know, Pennywise has never really pushed that way. The thing that has, I think, that works really well for it is that it was on. It kind of really legitimised the the kind of scary clown thing. I mean, we've had clowns in movies before, and um, certainly if you look at uh, something like Toby Hooper's uh, Funhouse or Killer Clowns from Outer Space, you know, clowns had been featured before. But when you watch the, you know, when you watch it um then 1990 version it's like a perfect storm that just makes it incredible
2: yeah tim and curry really, is oh, uh, yeah, like I mean, tim curry as any sort of essential evil like darkness and legend yeah uh this even kind of frankenfurter to an extent oh god
3: yeah, yeah yeah uh
2: that anytime he's playing that kind of manipulative evil character He just nails it. I don't know what it says about him as a person, but... (laughs) I think it's...
3: I think it's... He has one of those... He has a particular face that lights up. And, like, when he smiles, which I think, even with makeup on, can be twisted just a little bit to seem very malevolent. Um, And the voice is, you know, well, hi, Georgie. And you're like, oh, for fuck's sake. You know what I mean? It's just there's something, there's something about it. And, it, you know, it, it works really well. It helps that the story's penned by arguably the greatest horror writer of all time. Sure, you know, sure. we're talking about pedigrees here. That original one has a lot of stock behind it. Um, but it's a deeply flawed TV movie. And it's one that, like, I always come back to. The older I've got watching that, the more issues I have with it. And that I think the first half, with the kids is the more interesting element, oh, and absolutely. the second half with the adults, where it should be more interesting, where I should relate more to it now as an adult, um, I find it tedious. I, I just don't I don't like the resolution, and I I just I don't think it works as well as the first half. So when they announced we're doing this kind of reboot remake, um, and it was going to be split into two parts, originally Carrie Fukunaka. Uh, from true detective fame was supposed to be not only penning it, but directing it. And he ultimately left the project because he said they weren't going to give him what he wanted money-wise and scope-wise. However, the script is still credited for the most part to him. And I think you can see that to an extent. Um, it's very, very, very well written.
2: Yeah, yeah. There, mm, I, Again, I have my issues. There are moments that I, I think that... Look... The, you know, the, or the source material for it is over 1100 pages long. Yeah. So even splitting it into two, two plus hour films. Yeah. You got to make some decisions and, and, yeah, I... and there are a couple of decisions I'm not crazy about, but, but, uh, but then there are others that I think are really
3: smart. So I think you, you're treading dangerous water when you're, one, trying to appease the novel and, two, trying to appease fans of the TV movie. Right. I think that's yeah. a tightrope that is really difficult to walk. Um, and you have to take into account that there's a lot of people that saw that TV movie that never read the book. Um, and their experience of it is that TV movie. So you want to kind of keep them on site to an extent. I think, and you may disagree with me here, um, I don't think there's ever really been an entirely faithful Stephen King adaptation. Oh, I totally disagree. Right, what one? The Dead Zone is an almost
2: note-for-note Interpretation of that novel, Firestarter's awfully damn close too. It's not great. Yeah, yeah, d- close.
3: yeah, yeah. But this is what I'm, I'm talking about. Ones that like really, really, really work, right? I'll give you the Dead Zone. I think Dead Zone is an incredible movie. Once again, though, it's in the hands of Cronenberg, right? <laughs> well, sure. Yeah, of Come course. On, you know, <laughs> but but it, but but it's not Cronenberg doing his own thing. It is no. It is... Is, Cron- is Cronenberg being un like to an extent. Yeah, uh, with that scissor scene, you know, there's very little in the way of. <laughs> of Cronenberg well,
2: and that and Johnny on fire in the kids bedroom is real Cronenbergian to me yeah as well. yeah
3: right but but what I mean is out with that right think about the movies that have been like actual movies that have been made that are you know very 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 true to the source material and because I went through all this last year doing teapots, I was to try and think of and the funny thing about it is the, the Stephen King adapted material that made it to to movie form, the ones that I love the most are the ones that stray furthest from the book. Um, And I think it's, I think it's because Stephen King is great at building worlds in your brain. But I think when you come to make a movie of that, I think you struggle and he is a very wordy author. So, I mean, you have to make certain decisions. If there are certain things in that book that would not make their way to any movie. And one of them happens to do with the sexual content with the kids. um, you know what I mean? It's like, that sort of stuff is not going to make its way. I mean, I thought they actually handled it really well in the movie they put out um, this one this year, but th- there are certain things that just aren't going to translate well. And I think, I read your review, actually, and I think your review, for the most part, I think we come down, like, very, very, very close. I think that some of the the, the those brain itches you had, um, I got them too but i got over them really quick like really really quick because i was thinking this is a big budget horror movie that is potentially setting up It will we will get a second movie this movie is going to do a hundred percent yeah we're the numbers are going to be like the numbers for this movie are going to be brain breaking i think any any um Goodwill the Conjuring 2 built up in terms of one of the biggest horror movies of all time. Yeah, that's that's about to be broken like like broken viciously like Bean breaks Batman's body over his knee. Um, you know what I mean? Like it it was moulded in the darkness. You know what I mean? It's like literally we all flew down here. Uh, you know, like Bean just like is is that sort of level of just completely different cultural impact? It's gonna it's gonna and that's what I was thinking about is the the, the the things that you listed as maybe and things that you listed as maybe issues that you may have of it, you're very quick to say in the context of seeing the second part, this might go away. When I was one whole yeah. entity I, you know, it's, it's that way of you hear a song from an upcoming band that you really like. You hear it, one song out of context and you're like, I don't, I don't know whether, that doesn't sound great. But then when you hear it in the whole context of the album, you're like, all right, that's deliberately slow because it changes the pace of the album to move things. And the whole context, the the, the issues that you have, which, once again, we will stress, are slight, um, might, might completely change. But what, what I was most... Rem- what i thought was great is what they did was what stranger things did for me which was i felt they were very referential to an era i grew up in where it where it felt with like, even though it was in a different country there was things that, there was things in people's bedrooms or the way certain like houses looked that I was like this you know this evokes memories for me. Yeah, I thought, and, that, and that... the way
2: it's shot is very similar to the way that say like if it, there's a Gremlins poster on Bill oh, and Bruce yeah. Wall, and, but mm-hmm. and if you look at Gremlins, the cinematography and like the the soft focus and all that stuff of of films of that era are yeah. all in it.
3: Yeah, it's got it's got the it's got the feel of Joe Dante, definitely. Yes, kind, yes. Of, kind of kinda rippling through it. Um it has that to an extent almost almost the when you remember like the power of Amblin back in the eighties, you just when you went to, when you watched an Amblin movie there was a certain aesthetic that's just like flowed through it and it was that it was that feel of the 80s you know it was the feel of the 80s and a kind of teenage movie you know or a family movie you could sit down and watch um so we have stand that by as, me is a, i think a good
2: reference point too of i a, would agree with that like well, a, yeah. this r-rated kind of coming of age story also a king tale of course but mm-hmm. in this one you just have a child eating monster and <laughs> I'll also all right so from here on let, let, let's talk spoilers uh I'll, I'll make a note of the time code so we are going to talk spoilers about the film It uh, in three, two, one. It turns out uh, It <laughs> is a sled. Um, no. so
3: Not a space spider? Rob, no. no. Uh,
2: well, we, we don't know yet. Uh, oh, we okay. Know. <laughs> so, so here's the stuff that I really love about It. Because that's where I want to start. Because I mostly really love a lot about this movie. Uh,
3: I think the the cast of kids is great. That that was the thing I was about to say before you hit spot. How difficult is it to get a group of kids these days and across the board have really good kid actors? Like and a lot of these ones may have done things before, but I've not seen well many of them things before. And there are some potential future like amazing actors and actresses in this movie.
2: Sophia Lillis as as Beverly, like you I thought I think I saw you mention it on uh, Facebook as well, and I mentioned it in the review. Like she is a a stunner in this movie, and I don't mean, you know, attractiveness wise. Uh, although she's a fine, lovely young lady, she's uh, got
3: a she's got a look about her which, like to me, see if they wanted to cast her in like a like in a couple of years time, if they wanted to cast her in a kind of noirish throwback yeah. movie, she has a she has a a particular look that I would think would fit a kind of fifties aesthetic. Ironically enough, the original movie is set in the like the fifty seven, yeah. yeah, 57, 57 and 84. So, Yeah, so she has a look she could probably have transferred quite well there.
2: Um yeah I think she's just got a charisma there like yeah. there there's a moment between her and ben uh very early on uh when when they first meet, and as she's leaving, she gives him a wink, yeah, and it was like, oh, I love you, like yeah, great character like just, great actress. yeah she i mean just the the sweetheart of a character uh uh finn uh yeah Finn wolfhard uh from stranger things uh mm-hmm. as a matter of fact. Um, as Richie Tozier, is that perfect balance of like, will you shut the fuck up, kid? And then occasionally it's like, wow, that was really funny, and yeah. and that's kind of my perfect Richie is somebody who's most of the time annoying, but every now and again you're like, okay, this is why we keep Richie around. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought he was great in it. He's he's got a really nice moment at the end of uh, you know, when uh, it uh challenges them with that final uh like hey i you know i'll let you all leave yeah if you just leave bill with me and and richie has that moment of like you know th- it was the summer we were supposed to be outside having a good time <laughs> and now i gotta <laughs> kill a fucking clown Clown, yeah. <laughs> it's so good <laughs> um Yeah, so uh, the kids are all great. It's a good cast. Uh, Like Mike as a character feels the thinnest, but also most of his arc is in
3: the second film. Yeah, that's where he becomes, and that's something I think the the original TV movie struggled with as well. It's like Mike, like literally in the TV movie, we meet Mike as a kid. For very little time, and then all of a sudden he's the linchpin that's bringing everyone back. And yeah. you're like, really? Really? This guy that they met for, you know, like 10 minutes before they took down the clown, really? Um, and, yeah, I, I agree with that. But I think they set up, you know, this idea of, you know, he's he's going to be there forever. I think that they handled that really well. I think, once again, like, the fact that he's, he's like an outsider and... I think it is thin, but it works really well. I think, and I know you're about to jump onto this, but uh, what is it? Is it Bill Skarsgård? Is that his name?
2: Yeah, Pennywise, yeah.
3: Oh, it's brilliant. Once again, the balls on that guy for wanting to take on that
2: role. Fucking balls to be like, Tim Curry, who the fuck is that? I'm Pennywise, motherfucker. There are
3: shades of... This is the thing, though. There are shades of Tim Curry. Just like... Little flickers of Tim Curry they, in his portrayal, but enough there to be like, right, you know, I'm I'm using this as my source inspiration, but here is how I'm developing it, and it was, I I think it is brilliant. Yeah, it's a
2: more lunatic performance. It like it yes. it, it feels where where Tim Curry's Pennywise is this very confident, like I I know I've got the power to fuck you up kind of yeah. character. Uh, Bill Bill Skarsgård's uh, Pennywise is more like he is so excited to fuck you up he can yeah. barely keep himself from doing it like it, it's almost hard for him to play with his food. Um,
3: yeah and he needs to to get the sustenance he wants and yeah I, I think that's there there is a bit of, you know a scene where he's talking about the deliciousness of fear and you're just like oh like just like a, a villain that revels in being in a you know being a villain to me is a great thing to see on screen and something that is sorely lacking in horror these days as someone that actually gets off being evil yeah you know like Actually gets off on being evil. We, we have so many killers now in movies that just kill because they're kill- they're psychos, you know, <laughs> psycho killer coming here. Look at the, their malevolence they don't just like like actually get off on it. And there are oh he just plays into it really well. And there's an insecurity that he shows like right at the very end when he realizes he isn't getting what he wants, um, which I think is brilliant. There are a couple of scenes with him in this movie that I think are, I mean, I always said to me that one of the things that got me as a kid watching uh, was the book. And you see Pennywise dancing, you know, like, I am the eater of worlds and of children. The hand comes out the book. And I remember seeing that for the first time and just go, what the fuck? <laughs>
2: hey, this oh, one you know, goes to 11, gonna... 11, Duncan.
3: And the scene Ugh. with the with the projector uh-huh. is it's fucking holy terrifying. <laughs> holy fucking shit! bro. I was watching it in the cinema, a packed cinema as well, which is how you watch this movie for get, sure. Get out like in this first two weeks of seeing this movie and get in a big crowd and sit and just revel in the reactions of other people people being fucking normies were calling them be terrified watching this movie and there was i, I saw popcorn fly when this you know when this uh the, the projector scene in particular is just a master stroke that you know that to me is almost the piece de resistance of this movie oh yeah, like, it's you, never you, that good go. again
2: yeah
3: yeah this is our giant set piece and i'm happy with that because like that you know you give me that i don't know how you you elevate that again in a way which they know that's a great scene. And I think if you put too many of them in a movie or you try to better that, I think you almost maybe lean into something that wouldn't be effective. It works within the movie, it works really well within the movie. And um yeah moments like that I was just like this is I love the portrayal of Henry Bowers. I think he's the he's a hot like Such a fucking horrible character. Yeah, And this movie, this movie makes you feel sorry for him at one bit. When you see what Uh, his dad's like, you're like, of course he's like, of course he's fucked up. And of course he's like, look what, his dad fires a gun at his feet. Well, and I thought
2: the, I mean, again, that part two could fix a lot of this. But the way they kind of dispose of his character at the end of this movie, I was like, eh, I'm not crazy about that. I wish.
3: I don't think he's. He, of course, he's not if follows, gone. Yeah, it, it, uh, because he played it on.
2: Right. So. But, so I, I get why. Again, this is all in the, the context of hey, when the second one comes out, th- and I watch it all as one big thing, that's yeah. probably gonna be okay. Uh, but one thing that ain't never gonna be okay, Duncan. Uh, let me get to my one biggest complaint with the movie, which is a real bullshit complaint. Um, I'll go for- it's the exposition scene where Mike is like, "Hey, here's what this thing is." And it's just the most like, you know, it maybe it feeds on fear. It's like, uh, "What leads you to this?" Like like there's a whole lot of here's what of explaining to the kids what it is they're facing, but mm. it doesn't feel organic in the way that almost everything else about this movie does. And I think it's a real clunky scene and it's a scene I, I may again, I need to see it again, and I'm actually probably gonna go again this week. So I think
3: I th- but I think the the original interpretation has the same thing.
2: I agree. I and, and I'll tell you another problem I got with the movie Duncan while we're <laughs> oh, at, we're it.
3: at no, um, <laughs> like it. It was a little what I said to go and like oh oh yeah, want to want to counter by Duncan? We'll try this on for yeah, size. <laughs> how about this, Duncan?
2: Um <laughs> again not a not a giant issue with the film but it's just a decision that they made because they have to make one which is at the end of the movie like we have our end of act two where the kids are are falling apart like everybody's pissed off at each other and nobody wants to follow bill into this house and all that shit like everybody's gone their separate ways and so you have to give them a reason to reunite and go back to the sewers in the Mm -hmm. book it's just kind of well, they don't really ever break apart quite that badly. That's much more dramatic in the film. And also, they do it just because they feel this kind of sense of responsibility. Yep. And that's a very esoteric idea. So, in the film, what happens is Beverly Marsh is sort of taken by it and yep. and held as bait. And yep. and one of the complaints that I've seen, and I, and I, I kind of have it as well is it, it hurts a little bit that this character that's so strong in the book is reduced for a time to a damsel in distress in this film and but I also understand why you gotta do that you got to have a reason for them all to come together and the fact that it's like hey it got Beverly we gotta yeah. go get her that's for script logic 101 that is perfect it just for, the, for those of, uh, in, the, in the crowd like myself who love the book so very, very much, um, it just hurts a little bit that, like I said, it's that character.
3: Yeah, I, 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 I almost I, wish it had been Eddie,
2: you know I, what I mean? I'm
3: going to count her, I'm going to count her though, and here's how I counter. her, Here, here's how I negate that. Beverly doesn't succumb, she doesn't, like, she's the strongest out the lot, because even when she's kidnapped, it can't get fear from her. And that's where I think the movie levels up. She's not a damsel in distress. She's a damsel in distress, and that Pennywise has kidnapped her to bring the rest of them in. But Pennywise doesn't get what he wants from her. Absolutely. So, she's, she's... Any any other character would likely have caved to fear, maybe outside Bill to an extent. Although Bill is played like a fiddle throughout this movie, any other character <laughs> would have been consumed by by it down there in the in his lair. Except Beverly, and I think that's why that makes more logical sense than just well, you know, plot Point 101, damsel in distress is Beverly. I I, I, th- I think
2: Bill actually makes more sense I, because you like you said he's played like a fiddle through the movie. Well,
3: and- Bill's Bill's the I think Bill's the glue that keeps that group together before they meet. Be- like Beverly comes into that group much later on. I think you know you know what I mean to to, to me that. That's where, and plus you can't have your Bill is the main character, ostensibly. Right. You can't yeah, right. have him kidnapped. So, it, to me, the one that like I don't think I know there are people out there. There's a there's a gender debate which will rage on, obviously. About oh, of course it's the girl that's kidnapped. But I think the way it's written and the way it's performed is that it totally gives the middle finger to that assumption because when when it is doing everything in his power. To terrify the fuck out of her, she is not scared at all. In fact, she pretty much says you can't get what you want from me because I'm not scared of you. Um, I think that's great. Uh, so, so I like that's that's my counter. As clunky as the, and the exposition <laughs> thing as well. I I don't necessarily. I think what this one does a lot better than what the previous one. The previous kind of incarnation, is, does is set up the the fact, the, the true extent of how fucked up Derry is. It yes, really gives for sure. Kind of yeah, yeah. Like, so yeah, maybe the exposition on that part is a bit sped up, but the time spent crafting the rest of what's happening in the background of the town, I think, has done really well. Um, and I I want to also take my hat off to the the the, the kind of darker tones in this movie um, to Fuck. do with. Child like, murder, know, son. Yeah, ch- child murder. You know, paedophilia, yep. incest. Yep. You know, it's it's all ripping through this movie as yep. a backdrop. Even uh, the creepy fucking the, the the pharmacist who hits on the girl. Uh-huh. I mean, I'm uh, my skin was on fire. It was crawling watching that scene you know like you're my Lewis Lane. You're like, oh! <laughs> well
2: you know like the red <laughs> balloon in the back seat of the car uh yep. that drives by as you know Henry Bowers is carving yep. his name into Ben Hanscom. Uh yeah. I mean that's the re- totally representative of the idea like yes it, it has infected the town of Derry. Or, or perhaps the town of Derry called to it. Like we don't really know, but yeah, uh, there there is a a symbiotic evil that happens between the adults of that town who either do not see or choose not to see.
3: And, and could it be the? Could it be the? Like I, I love this idea of that's what happens if you you know you grow up because like what was it like even Pennywise the says you know you can leave him, you can leave Ben with me. And, and go off and, you know, and and grow up, and then, you know, obviously return to the earth, you know, become worm food, et cetera, is the way that you can go. You can stay, you know, obviously become food for me, sustain me for the next 27 years. But this idea of maybe living in an environment where kids are kidnapped and murdered, and you survive, and then stay in the town that that happens, just breaks you, and that's why the town is the way it is. You know, those people have grown up, 27 years earlier, having lived through an experience of just, like, trauma. This town always has trauma going on every 27 years, that when you reach adulthood, if you've remained in the town, you just become oblivious to the... or or almost to an extent... um, a participant in your, your, your neglect of noticing the things. It becomes the norm... You know, it becomes normalised to you, the the weirdness, the evilness of this town. I think this one does a really, really good job of that. Um, And yeah, that exposition scene feels really, really quick, but I think it's a minor, minor blip considering they spend a lot of time Setting up a lot more of this rich mythology. I was getting yeah. really into that when we went to Ben's room. I think the humor's really good in the like the movie as well. That, you know, new kids in the block poster behind his his door. Got an actual laugh, like a like a proper full-on belly laugh from me in the in the cinema. But when we walk into his room and we see that this kid is penned out everything, true detective style, you know, Rust and Cole, like with all these like Different like sheets of paper, all these photocopies penned everywhere. <laughs> right, where he's um, like,
2: hunker down, y'all, we're gonna talk about dairy.
3: <laughs> Time is a flat circle. Um, Sabers are a
2: flat circle.
3: <laughs> you know, when we get to that bit, I'm like, I'm loving you know, I'm loving it. There is no doubt in my mind had Stranger Things not been the runaway success that it was, um one it wouldn't be getting as much attention, but to the effects of that, and let's also just like briefly before we jump into our Twin Peaks discussion, let's touch on one more thing, and it's the effect of new line cinema on this project, because there is a bit of Elm Street about this bow.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Just just a tad, and I'm not talking about the fact that Nightmare on Elm Street Five is playing at the local cinema. That's pretty um, funny
2: though. I do like that,
3: which did make me smile. Um, but but let's let you know this feels like like a weird hybrid. It feels like they've taken those aspects and brought them over. And that excites me because I think there is almost this tendency to, to disregard the importance of the Nightmare and Elm Street movies. And, to, and there are a series that I don't particularly love all the way through. There's a couple that I really like. The rest, I think, are pretty poor. But... That's with time. I felt that way. I remember growing up in the eighties when the nightmare movies were coming out, and just this idea of we we were all watching those movies at an age we shouldn't have been watching them, um, and we were all having nightmares about them. And the idea of Freddy taking your worst fear and using it against you, and you know all all these ideas as well. I think they handled that really really well in this movie to almost update. Um, like a template which worked really well in the eighties, and kind of regenerate it for us in in this environment now in t- twenty seventeen. I can, on t- hand on heart Bo, I can say I cannot remember the last time I saw um, a you know big budget cinema horror movie that I've enjoyed as much as I enjoyed it, um, and and furthermore. Um, because even though, like to to me, you know, uh, Get Out is the has been the the greatest cinematic horror experience I've had this year. Um, it's not a big budget movie. It's not an it budget movie. So I'm talking about on blockbuster budget level here. Um, I can't think of one in recent memory that suffers from as little flaws as it actually does have. And I can't think of a, a the last time I was at the cinema and saw a horror movie and was like, I cannot wait for the next one. Give me the next one now. It's been a long, long time since I felt like that. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I think, it's, it, it. to me, they did something which I almost um, marveled by the fact that so much is right in this movie. Because uh, very much like I was talking earlier on about Psycho 2, very easy to fuck up a movie which is coming at the back of something many many years on which has been you know as 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 ingrained in the culture as much as as it has um i mean like in in terms of scoring if i was scoring the movie it's not like a it's not like a five out of five or a ten i'd give it a four you know i think i really really liked it i'd give it a four out of five eight out of ten um I think it's a really really good movie. There are a couple of things like you see which are slight concerns and I I don't know if after seeing the second part you know that that score will go up overall or it might even go down. Like <laughs> you don't you don't know, but on first watch and I'll definitely be back to see it within the week. I'm going back maybe another time after that um at the cinema. I I thought it was really 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 good. Uh,
2: just a, a couple of tidbits. Uh, the current expectation based on uh, Thursday's numbers is that it's going to land about $80 million opening weekend, uh, which is more than double its $35 million production budget, and you can rest assured we will be seeing Chapter 2. Um, yeah, I mean, I, my final thoughts on the movie would be uh, a couple of just minor notes. I thought the opening treatment speaking of new line was real fun of doing it in the rain and all that stuff. Like they got behind this movie and had some fun with it for sure. Um, the Georgie puppet is one of the most terrifying things that's ever happened. Um, (laughs) And, and I will say the, the, the final moment, like where you see kind of their treatment of the deadlights. I thought that was pretty interesting uh yeah. and and another moment that will live with me for a long long time even though it's very slight it's the um i think it's the moment where mike hanlon is getting beating beat in the uh in the quarry yeah. and he looks over and pennywise has a kid's arm in his hand
3: oh he's chewing it <laughs> and he's
2: chewing on it and when he sees that mike is looking at him he waves with the kid's chewed um, hand yeah it, it, it's one of those things like this is such a nice little horrible touch uh, that Pennywise is just like, oh, I don't have to eat this kid. I'm just enjoying watching this.
3: And I'll, I'll I'll go, I'll go one step further. You know me in emotional scenes.
2: You know, you know. What well, like in that you don't have human normal
3: emotions. <laughs> yes, yeah, human. Um, when Bill is, you know, faced with Georgie. And the you know at the very end, and George is like, "I just want to come home, please take me home." And he's standing there missing uh. these up. and his brother has to put him down with a gun. And then it makes you wait. <laughs> the movie makes you—he doesn't just turn into Pennywise right away. It makes you wait for this bit where you're like, "That what? Why are we waiting now?" Like you know, what was he? he no, he wasn't still alive, was he? What, what, what are we doing here? What what are we waiting for? Well, this is the third of killing your brother and then uh, there's a good 30 seconds before he turns into Pennywise the Clown, or at least it felt like 30 seconds. And I was like that. thats the, There's the gravity of the choice that character has made played out here by how long you have to wait. And I thought that was really, really well done. The, you know, it could have been so much easier just to shoot him and then, you know, he falls back and then he starts to change straight away. You know, there was a couple of very deft decisions made in making this movie, um, in such a way that you, I almost kind of feel like this director maybe had like a bit three or four like under his belt. It doesn't feel like you know he's he's done very very little. Yeah, he, like Tony
2: Mchetti has some fucking style yeah you know, love like it. even that I love o- his that title uh when you know you see it and it's that rotating shot through the tunnel with all the kids oh, singing oh man it's real good like that movie lets you know right away like this is a goddamn horror movie don't kid yourself <laughs> Th- this ain't no like silence of the lambs will they won't
3: they bullshit
2: <laughs> I'm like, i like is
3: think- it uh, <laughs> one more thing as well one more thing and then we definitely will move on he right, um, right? like the not that they were panicked but the the good thing to note about this as well is in terms of continuity all the kids stuff that is going to feature in the next part has already been filmed so they don't need to worry about kids growing up because kids will do that watch game of thrones yeah yeah uh, Look at Bran. Bran looks like he, he should be taking his pension out now. <laughs> right, right. Look, Brand, like, uh they just gave him his retirement watch. Uh, you know, it's like, he's—he's he's got grey facial hair. Like, what the fuck? I know winter's coming, but what the fuck? You know, and like that's what happens with kids. Kids grow up real quick. Um, the fact that they were like that, right? We're just going to film these just in case, uh, while they had them all there, is a very, very clever decision. And I think it work really well when it comes to continuity between between the the movies. I think it's going to work very very well. And yeah, I, I can't I cannot wait. I probably have realistically I think we'll have two years to wait. I can't unless they rush the fuck out of this, which I hope they don't. Um, we'll probably look at 2019 for uh, for the release of the second part. And I can't wait. And it'll definitely, there's no way it's not going to happen now. It's like already just the numbers you're talking about is enough to merit it, and that's just opening weekend. I I I genuinely and that's in
2: these United States. That's yeah, that's that's not like
3: I'll be number one movie everywhere it airs, like guaranteed for a couple of weeks. I think yeah, Um, and I'll see this as well. You sent a really interesting message to me, and I think it sums up the excitement I have about the journey horror has taken and the last four years that I've been podcasting, but I think essentially the the last close to like five or six years is you sent a message to me saying, isn't it interesting that Hollywood as an industry may be relying on this, our budget horror movie to essentially save what has been a dismal summer of blockbusters. There has been next to none of these huge projects have turned anywhere near the money they have or have turned a decent profit but wouldn't it be interesting that the last kind of big summer blockbuster movie to come out this year is the one that is going to do, you know, gangbuster numbers is an R-rated horror movie and if you if you were to ask me 4 years ago if I could predict in 4 years time that would happen I would laugh you out of the building yeah um very interesting we're in interesting times now we're back in the mainstream and um horror thrives for a while in the mainstream it never lasts but it you know it's always exciting seeing and it's a lot of groundwork from tv tv has worked its ass off the last five years given there's really quality content there and it's got the the walking dead is a great example even though i'm off the walking dead train now um the walking dead has done a great job of just continuing to make non-horror fans horror fans uh, so much so that when things are starting to come at the cinema, and you also mentioned it as well, I think it was for Thursday Thursday, that the political climate as it stands just now breeds people that are desperate for escapism and horror. It just naturally does. Um, that it's, it's like the perfect storm just now, but that's not to take anything away from the movie. I think it is a real strong movie. And roll on, Chapter 2! Yep. Uh
2: Oh. A a very that. final note about all this it stuff. Uh, in the theater uh, prior to the film, um, they uh, they rolled a trailer for a film called Thor Ragnarok, and this latest trailer for this fucking movie isn't a guitar solo. It is like a yes organ solo. Oh. That movie <laughs> looks fucking bananas. Taika Waititi. It's
3: Kenneth. It's Kenneth Branagh that's directed it, isn't it? No, Taika Watiti. Oh, sorry. As so as fuck, it's Kenneth Branagh that's doing um Murder on the Orient Express. Yeah, yeah. They're the same movie, obviously. Sure. Uh, Yeah, we didn't get that. You know what trailer we got? What? It's like the greatest trailer in the history. Man, we got a trailer for Mother. Is it the "This Will Mess You Up" trailer? Yeah, yeah. uh, As like as the one that says "In One Week, One Week Today." In this cinema, yeah,
2: uh, yeah, you, a real seventies yeah, trailer. I like.
3: I watched that and I was like, "That oh fuck yes!" I'm on board now.
2: <laughs> like now, I'm on board. If, I was if, like, "Oh, that's that's <laughs> a, that is that movie daring me, and I appreciate that of just like, hey, we're gonna fuck you up, and I'm like,
3: you think you you think you can fuck me up, mother? All right, yeah, I'll see you love, here in a week. I love the fact as well. It's like that, you know. Uh, buy your tickets on the way out if you dare, and I'm like that. Oh yes, yes, please. Right, like,
2: oh. you will remember where you were the first time you saw Mother.
3: Yeah, that's Fuck. Oh man, I yes. like it.
2: I, that's the fucking balls that, on that, that trailer. That right
3: there, you're talking about organ, like organ, yes, solo to Ragnarok. I saw that chair and I was like, burr, 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 burr. yeah. That
2: is the Prince solo uh, at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame where he did While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Just strolls out on stage, lays it down, throws his guitar in the audience and walks the fuck off stage before the song ends. That's the guitar solo.
3: Can't wait One week as well. In fact, it's not even a week now. It's six days. um, And I'll be there day one to see it. I'll be there Friday opening night and I can't fucking wait. All right, Duncan... uh, we have talked up episode eight quite
2: a bit. Um, but we in the words of the Wu-Tang place. Clan, Duncan, <laughs> oh, episode wait, seven ain't nothing to fuck with.
3: Ain't nothing to fuck with!
2: It All right, so in a world where episode eight doesn't exist, this episode is cover-to-cover
3: awesome, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you want to know why it's awesome? There's a whole hell of a lot of Diane, whole hell of a lot of Lynch, whole hell of a lot of Albert Rosenstein. We have... Our, uh, our good buddy, Doppelcoop. Um, just, yeah, this this episode's like, remember we did all that Dougie stuff? Um, well, we're going to give you a bit of Dougie stuff in a way which is amazing, um, but then we're just going to give you a whole hell of a lot of stuff that you really want to see in this episode. And it's just brilliant. Like, like almost this scene would just be perfect on loop as a 59-minute scene of David Lynch just whistling while while that picture of atomic bombers in the background. Oh. As a precursor to the next episode, just give me fifty nine minutes of that, and I'd be like, "That ah, this is fucking phenomenal."
2: It's one of those eight hour loops on YouTube that you get sometimes. Oh uh,
3: yeah, what is a ringtone?
2: Uh-huh. Uh huh. <laughs> so episode seven begins uh, with Jerry uh, Horn in the woods, and he is not having a great time.
3: Um, he's a out his gourd I believe, is an American phrase, but I think it's apt here.
2: Yeah, he is uh tripping balls. Uh chasing the
3: dragon. Yeah. yeah. although I think that's a different narcotic. But yeah, he's a uh, he's misplace burning propane.
2: <laughs>
3: Don't call it a callback. Um it's yeah, he's he's lost his car, he's in the woods. I like he's when he goes of... I think I'm high <laughs> And he's speaking to his brother up at the Great Northern, who is just like, uh, this is Jerry I, again." You get a feeling that he has had one, you know, more than one conversation with Jerry, which has went down exactly the same road.
2: Yeah, and yeah, like like you said, Jerry finally just hangs up, and Ben's like, "All right, fine, Jerry." So then we cut over <laughs> to uh, the sheriff's department, <laughs> where one deputy chief motherfucking hawk. is showing off his latest discovery, uh, oh. which of course was, uh, you know, the pages he found in the door of the stall of the men's room uh, at the Sheriff's Department. Unos, dos, tres, um, Laura sheets. And so one of those happens to be, we'll find out, is the very last page of the secret diary of Laura Palmer, which mm-hmm. is like, I know who it is. Anyway, we'll get to that. And also, in these pages, there's a message from Annie from... Firewalk with me. It is the yes. uh like tell um it, like tell uh tell them Agent Cooper or, or the good Agent Cooper is still in the Black Lodge. Yeah. And and Frank, uh you know, uh it Frank Truman, obviously sheriff, uh is like, the fuck is this about Hawk? And he's like, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure this is what Margaret wanted me to find. Yeah. And we also get a Harold Smith shout-out, because he's like, hey, these are the pages, like, we found the diary at Harold Smith's place, but it was missing four pages, these are three of the four.
3: Yeah, and he's like, um, like, I think it was Harold Smith, and in the distance we hear Harold Smith saying, I'm up at the pearly gates um, alongside our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who uh, I sometimes help with his garbage
2: I do nothing but
3: good deeds. Good deeds, and an angel. Heaven. Can you imagine? <laughs> Agent Smith, the angel. <laughs> uh, like,
2: like it's a wonderful life. Would be a much different film. Your life would be very different without you in it, Mister
3: Bailey. So you would get this great shout out, but. Um... Like I, I call back to him, you know he had the diary. But we get like we we get for for those that are or maybe have not done their due diligence, like myself and Bo, which is uh, trawl through the entire back catalogue of, of Twin Peaks and the novels. Um, they they kind of spell things out a little bit here in that. Well, I thought you know Annie. I thought Agent Cooper didn't come to Twin Peaks until after. Um, Laura Palmer's death. So, how could this mess? How could they have met each other and Annie and all the rest? And then we tie this in really quick with them saying, "Well, you know that that is true." Um, however, you know, Agent Cooper, like Harry was there. Harry saw you know them go in and saw him return from the lodge. Um, and then we find that that, um, that one of the last people to see him, uh, Agent Cooper, that was was the doc, um, right. And, which and they, set up a, a, a scene coming forthwith, which is kind of amazing as well. <laughs>
2: right. And they do make the, as you said, making the connections of like, okay, well, if the good Cooper, uh, the good Dale, uh, didn't come out of the lodge, then who did and who was the yep. last to see him? And so uh, Frank says, I'm going to run this past Harry since he mm-hmm. was there as well. So uh, Frank gives Harry a jingle jangle. And it's clear that Harry is not doing great. And no. Uh, no way. And Frank even tells him, like, you know, hey, you know, Harry, beat this thing, will ya? And it so the implication is it's cancer. I don't think that's been stated as such, uh, not explicitly, but, but that's what I came away with as well. Sure. And and so when uh he You know, he's responding to Harry on the other end of the phone and uh, says, like, oh, yeah, I had someone I wanted to ask you about, but it can wait. It's not a big deal. You just concentrate on getting better. So we don't have that immediate connection of, like, oh, let's see what Harry has to say about that day.
3: Yeah. Um,
2: So anyway, uh, Deputy Andy, uh, Super Sleuth Deputy Andy, has tracked (laughs) down the truck that hit the kid in the last episode who floated up in a gold
3: orb. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I love that so we're saying uh, super slith this scene would have you believe otherwise <laughs> like very very quickly that maybe Andy isn't the greatest super slith in the world and that he has a potential suspect and then you know doesn't bring them in <laughs> right well and, and there is also
2: a sense that maybe there's some BLS aka Black Lodge shit uh, <laughs> going on here as well I think um, yeah
3: so he, he goes out, he, he speaks to the man who lives in the trailer where we last saw Richard Horn park the the vehicle that he knocked the kid over with. And this guy's like, you know, I can't talk to you just now, you need to go. I'll tell you what, I'll meet you at 4pm, or it's 4.30, I think it's 4pm. 4 4.30. Um, yeah, 4.30, out on, this, out on this highway, at this bridge, I'll meet, I'll meet you there. Which I believe, by the way, uh, doing a bit of due diligence as well, um, in that... I I read it on the internet. Um this is apparently the bridge that Laura Palmer jumps out well, leaves James to go and run in the woods. Mm, okay. So same place. No out with the fascinating connection I don't think it goes to anything. I don't think it will go to anything. But it's, once again, them kind of keeping it within the real world setting of Twin Peaks. Um, you know, so this is this is a, a, an area within it that we have seen once before in Fire walk With Me. But yeah, so he agrees to meet him out there. Andy agrees, which right, well, but- we're going to assume these two know each other and maybe he's giving them the benefit of the doubt. But still, Andy. Yeah, it's...
2: It feels like a rookie move. We don't have the whole story here, but it's also kid some real dead, Andy
3: and. shit. Like, well, he gave me his word, Sheriff. Uh, you know. Yeah, because like, Andy's tracked him down, right? So Andy's clearly, well, we'll give Andy the benefit of the doubt. Good cop there, but dead kid, Andy. Maybe maybe, maybe we see the guy, I know that, that right now is not convenient for you, but I'm a cop motherfucker. Get in the car.
2: Right. Also dead child uh <laughs> a lot of people are asking questions um so oh, so we cut over to uh to frank at the station and he calls doc hayward <laughs> and uh he was you know one of the last people to to see agent cooper in town and,
3: and the actor that plays doc hayward as well is I've, i think i've said this before is mark frost's dad. Did I say that before? No, 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 no. No, so it's the it is Mark's frost dad in real life. And he has since unfortunately passed on since um since the making of this show. So this is another one of these uh fortuitous situations where David Lynch managed to get, you know, original cast members back towards the end of their life to to actually, you know, come back and uh, and reprise roles um Like the the log lady, for example. So uh, yeah, so he phones him up. This is fucking brilliant. Yeah, this is like this is some James Bond shit. I love
2: this. Yeah, because Frank is like, "Hey, Doc, do you Skype?" And Doc (laughs) Hayward is like, "I Skype all the time." And uh, uh, so Harry like flips a lever, (laughs) and an IKEA James Bond monitor. Slides up from the desk again. It's just some fun Twin Peaks technology of
3: like the built-in desk monitor that is I, made of teak. Um, just how I imagine technology has been explained to David Lynch, and this is just <laughs> how does it work with wood?
2: Well, it, it's a different thing than wood. How so? Just never gets it in his head. Like uh, you can't build with it. What? What is electricity?
3: goddammit? it! <laughs> you don't use the electricity because that brings the, the people from the Black Lodge. Both. You should know that.
2: I don't get anywhere near the stuff. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so <laughs> I also like that uh, Doc Hayward's a uh, Skype handle is Middlebury Doc. That's yep. that's adorable. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, in addition to having a, a, a badass Heidi monitor, uh, Frank also types like an old man, which cracks me up. Yeah. But, all right, so then we see Doc Hayward pop up on the screen, and which it, it's great to see him, of, of course. Uh, yeah, definitely. And uh, so Frank has asked him about examining Cooper, uh, if he remembers any of that, and he's like, I sure do. I don't remember what I had for breakfast, but I remember that uh sorry i like doing old man voice so uh but he says he was acting strange and uh he took him to the hospital and but then uh doc hayward sees him up and about sneaking into the icu and he thinks at the time he's going to see audrey horn who of course had been blowed up
3: uh (laughs) at the end of, of season two so, here is a question. Here's something that's flying around just now is a a, a rumor um online from when I watched this episode. I've done no investigations, so I don't know how realistic uh or even if the show hopefully the show does answer this. Ro- uh, Robert Horn, right? Evil Robert Horn child killer. Richard richard horn Richard Horn. Robert Horn. Richard.
2: Yes, Richard,
3: richard Horn. horn. Richard, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Richard Horn, evil child killer Richard Horn, right? Has the surname Horn, right? So he's of the Horn family, right? Oh, you think he's Audrey's kid? I think he's Audrey's kid and he may be the product of Black Lodge. Think about it. Dale Cooper goes in maybe gets jiggy with the unconscious corpse of Audrey. Child is is born and then you get this horrible piece of shit character. Potentially. That was a rumor that was flying around weeks and weeks ago. I do not know if it's been resolved. That's terrible and wonderful and i i'm
2: i'm not i'm not against the idea and her like it being her son makes a, a ton of sense uh him being a black lodge conception i don't know just the scene with him in uh balthazar getty yeah. it didn't seem like he was real cool with all the bls so he might not know that he's a product of bls so oh he like he's the last jedi
3: yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. All right, uh, the blacklight. <laughs> you meet, meet his Yoda somewhere down the line, and then <laughs> I am your father. <laughs> um. <laughs> uh, so, he but... almost directed. He almost didn't. David Lynch almost direct Return of the Jedi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could have had, had that.
2: Yeah. Uh, Life is a
3: cruel mistress, (laughs) Bo.
2: It's it it is again horrible and wonderful all at once. (laughs) Um, So, uh, but yeah. So uh, Doc Hayward says that after he saw uh, Dale at the ICU, that they kind of exchanged a look, and that was kind of it. And then he never saw Dale Cooper again. The
3: look was weird,
2: though. Yeah, he said it was a, a very a very strange look, and. Um and then the the conversation concludes with uh Doc Hayward telling a bad fish joke,
3: a terrible fish joke. Did make me laugh though.
2: Yeah, it, it's again adorable because Doc Hayward is totally adorable as this old man. uh um, Yeah, and
3: it's, it's David Lynch's dad humor. Yeah, Striking very again. much
2: so. It's the you know I caught two trout in in my pants the other day. How they got in my pants, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. uh And I love the sign off uh, of of Frank here. Where he goes, hey Doc, keep working the sunny side of the river. Yeah. Oh, it's good. I'm gonna start it's using huge, that. Feel good. It I, I think it sounds both homespun and genuine. Uh so I'm yeah. gonna start using it. <laughs> um so Cindy Knox, uh who is our our uh, lady uh military uh chick, um Ernie Hudson's uh wait. She is or er, Ernie Hudson is her superior. anyway, that matters. That's right. Yeah. So Cindy yeah. Knox shows up at Snortfart, and uh, she says, like, hey, I need to check the prints on the body. Uh, and they're like, well, we didn't pull them from the body. like you the body's here. You can go look at it and take the prints for yourself if you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, still no head has turned up. but uh, Constance, uh, Jane Adams again, welcome back. Uh, says the, you know, hey, uh, he would have been late 40s and he died within the last five or six days. Mm -hmm. And once Cindy Knox realizes, well, the prints are that of the colonels or the majors. And I don't know why I want to call him the colonel. I want to demote him. So the (laughs) major and that uh, uh, it is the body of the major as if it were, you know, 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so she makes the phone call uh to Ernie Hudson and she's like, Hey, it's not just Prince, we have the actual body, but the head's missing and he's the wrong age. And then Duncan.
3: Ah, uh, this is it's like watching It Follows. ah, uh, and it's just as effective as it would have been if it was in It Follows.
2: <laughs> yeah. All right, so we start to hear that electrical hum that tells you some some BLS is about to go down. Yeah, and then we see like the weirdo, sooty farm-looking guy, the hobo, yeah, the ghost bow, uh,
3: <laughs> in the Which hall. Is what I'm going to call you when you die? Um.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> fingers crossed, Duncan. <laughs> um, I would love to fucking be a ghost, man. I like, I, I feel like I've been training for it my whole life. It's <laughs> a tagline for a movie about a ghost. uh <laughs> He's been training for this his whole life.
3: <laughs> but yeah, like, uh, I think... Oh, I need well, to,
2: Pardon me, Duncan. I need to go make it some notes here. Uh, you I gotta should. Like, that it.
3: is like a great tagline, by the way. That's, like, see if we were, see, <laughs> see if we were back at, like, peak Corman era production, you would literally have got a movie made off the back of that. <laughs> right. It would already be, there would
2: already be a scripting cast.
3: Um, <laughs> yeah. But, so, but
2: yeah, I think we're,
3: what we're we calling these guys—I have are, been calling them oopsmen, uh, logsmen?
2: I, the, the In my notes, they have been the farm ghouls more than anything else. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that there is a great description. Yeah, they're they're sort of the phantom
3: loggers. The phantom log <laughs> sounds like someone that shits in your toilet. That's and, exactly yeah, what yeah.
2: happened when I went to camp
3: one summer. Duncan,
2: is somebody would <laughs> shit near the cabins. <laughs> and he was referred to as the Phantom Logger. <laughs> oh
3: dear! It's like this is like I believe in the in the interpretation of Twin Peaks mythology. This is the the guy that we. Well, th- this is one of the group of guys we saw in the apartment in firewalk with me. Yeah, and we'll get into it more in the next episode of kind
2: of what these things are. Yeah. Uh in, in relation to the other spirits of the Black Lodge. They seem to be kind of sub spirits. They're a little more kind of worker beasts. Yeah, kinda of, kinda of chaotic and, and a little dumb. You know, they don't they don't seem to possess the same kind of uh you know, sinister, complex planning of a bob um Mm. but at the same time there's something just kind of frightening about the appearance of them and everything it's really they're creepy as fuck yeah and so after uh Cindy knox makes the phone call to ernie hudson ernie hudson is like hey i gotta make a phone call myself because this changes some shit and Mm -hmm. as she's telling uh constance and uh the other uh police dude that um like, hey, I don't think this is going to be your case very much longer. You see, the, you know, the the sooty hobo walk by again. And, ugh. So, yeah, some real... <laughs> we'll get into it, man. That next episode is just ate up with them. Um, so, then we cut to the scene that you love, uh, above all others, is uh, Gordon Cole in his office doing bird calls. Uh, in front of a picture of a a mushroom cloud
3: yeah in in front of the the i think it's supposed to be the manhattan project which would make sense for the next episode but it's a large black and white photograph of you know the manhattan projects result the mushroom cloud in the background um and he's just whistling away at himself and then the door gets knocked he's obviously got his which this is quite interesting so he's got his his hearing aid turned up maximum and he's whistling, which doesn't appear to bother him. And then the door gets knocked and then that bothers him. And then we get a quite frankly glum, uh very, very stern looking Albert who comes in to basically say that his conversation with Diane did not go well. Um, she basically told him to fuck off Um But in a nicer way to how she tells everyone else things later on. Um, So, yeah. uh, And he's like that, you know. uh, 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 It's your your turn this time. And I love this scene. Uh, He's he's like, you know, Gordon Cole goes, will you come with me? And he's like that. Say please, Gordon. Cole's like, what "What was that? And he's like,
2: you heard me. (laughs) Yeah. And he is like, please, Albert. Yeah, I mean,
3: it's just, it's really great. Um, their, 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 their interactions in this season we've not had many of them but they're brilliant like absolutely brilliant they're like the, the kind of buddy cop series that you didn't know you wanted to see all the time and now you've got it you know, and you've won it all
2: and it just it, it breaks your heart a little more for the fact that Miguel Ferrer is no longer with us as you pointed out with you know Doc Hayward like we lost yeah. a lot of the actors like right after this ended um, yeah. and, but or, or right after the the filming ended and i you know if you're gonna have a swan song though man it's so nice to see miguel ferrer not just back in this role which was always fun yeah but playing a character that he seems to enjoy playing and and oh yeah uh,
3: i get the feeling that him and lynch were probably good friends as well yeah. I don't think that's just like an act, you know like the, them in character on there there seems like a genuine kind of warmth and camaraderie between the two of them and the scenes that they're in which just that's what I kind of love about the return is that everything kind of feels like we have all these new cast members and that's great but all the scenes where existing cast members from the original run are together it just kind of feels it feels nice to be amongst friends um, I kind of love that. You know,
2: it it reminds me a little bit of that Stephen Wright joke about uh, the two kids born in the hospital on the same day, and then they're you know taken apart. They live their lives, uh, you know, by a, a strange quirk of fate. They both end up back in the same hospital on the same day, about to die. Oh, really? Right. And, and one of them looks at the other one and says, "So, what'd you think?" And and that's kind of, to me, like the the Twin Peaks, the, the return vibe of all these actors, all these professionals who have been working for years and years and years, coming back to the thing that in some cases propelled them to, to fame. Mm-hmm. Just to be like, so what'd you think? You know, like, what, what's your career been like? But isn't it nice yeah. that we're back here for a little bit? it, 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 it As you said, it just feels so warm and lovely at, at times. Um, anyway, speaking of warm and lovely... Let's go to Diane's place. <laughs> nice pad as well. All right. Diane is... <sighs> for a character that could have been a crazy make up as of a couple of episodes ago, <laughs> I fell hard for Diane.
3: Yeah, uh, well, it helps that she's played by Laura Derm.
2: Of, of course, but the fact that she is this kind of older woman who has this boy toy yeah that she's like all right get the fuck out of here i got business maybe to do one
3: with. of many boy toys as well i'm I just get certain... feeling that yes it's just, like just got like one for every day of the week yeah and um i may just
2: play this scene in the upfront, but it like so the boy toy lets gordon and albert in and then he fucks off and immediately she is in in this kind of elegant stylish robe Drinking Asian? a cup of Yeah. Drinking a cup of coffee, smoking a cigarette, and she's just like, fuck you guys. And, <laughs> and, <what> she's... <laughs> and Gordon asks her, like, hey, you have any coffee? And she goes, No, and I don't have any cigarettes either. <laughs> I
3: love it. <that. laughs>
2: it's so good. And and so uh, Gordon tells her that Cooper is in a federal prison, and she goes, Good and then he says this may require a subtle change in attitude diane (laughs) and and so he says that they think something's wrong but they need someone to have a talk with cooper who really knows him yeah and so she doesn't agree on screen which is kind of great we just cut to the plane and uh we get another good fuck you, Albert, as they're on the plane and Albert passes by and is like... Yeah, you know, he gives and,
3: her a miniature of vodka, which she sinks. Yeah.
2: Oh. Diane knows how to drink a smuggler or two. Uh, <laughs> um, Oh, God, she is such a great character. Anyway. um, <laughs> So, and then Tammy uh, is on the plane with him as well and she's showing off... Uh, the shit she found in the last episode with the fingerprints about the mm-hmm. reversal and Albert's like yeah they're reversed and then uh, Gordon Cole does a thing you know it's very very good to see you old friend and like you know counting the spiritual mound of her finger and which word was important which in this case was very and there's a thing about the word very being reversed
3: mm-hmm. and
2: I mean it's all very twin pea shit and but but the idea is like yes there the, there is this spiritual implication that what they're dealing with is a somehow reverse copy of yeah. of Agent Cooper.
3: It's, it's all very blue rose, spoke.
2: Very blue rose. It doesn't get any bluer. <laughs> um,
3: and they they say this they, is how this is how fucked up we are now. This is how so far down the rabbit hole we are right i'd say that to anyone else bo i would have got a weird look but you just played right into that i'm not gonna be able to communicate like a normal person i know like
2: this is slowly shrinking until it's just you and i discussing twin peaks like in perpetuity (laughs) as as, like we need to just do it live where we just talk until we die about twin peaks and and see how the viewership just slowly ticks down until the very end much like twin peaks itself when it spikes up to you know see the death rows um mm-hmm. anyway so they have a picture of doppel cooper uh from like the only known picture of him outside his house in uh god was it venezuela is where the house
3: yeah, was venezuela so he's he's been uh he's been in south america which we kind of knew because he's a he, his relationship with um uh david bowie's character uh oh. jeffrey. Yeah, Philip jeffrey yeah philip jeffrey um and i mean like the photograph is photoshopped within an inch of its life i kind of love it it kind of looks like the set of a Duran Duran music video or a, uh,
2: a michael bay action film it's like a drug <laughs> cartel compound john,
3: maybe a john woo movie some doves oh. in the background flying slow-mo For sure. uh, so yeah so like we have this one this is the only photo uh, we have, but by the time they got down there he was gone he was gone uh, he wasn't there anymore um and diane's over here in all this conversation and taking it in, I'm thoroughly unimpressed with everyone, because uh, she's Diane and she's cool as fuck. By far the coolest thing ever. Um, <laughs> far cooler than either of us, Duncan. Yeah, combined. Oh, yeah. I'm. I'm Head not down. adding much, quite <laughs>
2: frankly. Like you're, you're doing the heavy <laughs> not lifting on that much. One. Uh So, so when they finally land, Diane says, "Look, I'm only going to talk to him by myself, and it's only going to be for ten minutes." and so you know obviously Gordon agrees to it and Tammy is like oh it's really nice to work with you and there's a great moment where Diane's like hey what's your name again and she she goes oh it's Tammy ma'am and then just goes okay fuck you Tammy <laughs> ask for her name to say fuck you Tammy fuck you. <laughs> that's a, that's why I love Diane um I, I can't say fuck you stranger I need to anyway uh <laughs> So Diane goes to the room where uh, the last time we saw, like, you know, Tammy and Colin and Albert uh, interviewing Doppel Cooper, except this time Diane is alone as the others watch. Um, so the panel, the metal slider rolls up and there's Doppel Cooper. And immediately mm-hmm. she kind of stands up and uh, Doppel Cooper is like, I knew it would be you, Diane. (laughs) It's a really good double It's good to see you. And so she's like, yeah, it's good to see you too. You remember when we saw each other the last time? And he's like, are you upset with me?
3: (laughs) Classic deflation.
2: (laughs) I think you're upset with me. And she's like, okay, when is the last time we saw each other? And he's like, at your house. And she's like, okay, do you remember that night? And he says, I will always remember that night. And she goes, same for me. I'll never forget it. And then she just goes, who are you? Yeah. And uh, his, that, the last thing he says is, I don't know what you mean, Diane. And she's like, you know, look at me, look at me. And when he finally does, she just shuts the shade. Mm. Oh, it's oh man! I know I was kind of doing a blow by blow on that scene, but it's so fucking good. It's a
3: great scene, and right. So, what we obviously we'll, we'll move on to the after effects of conversation that she's going to have with Gordon, But there's some things that we need to instantly take like take note of here. So, like Cooper must have met Diane. I'm assuming after his time in Twin Peaks. And something went down, something which he seemed to be okay with. She seemed to be less okay with. Yeah, uh, it might be why she's been so bitter and twisted towards him in the in the interim. Um, but yeah, she she leaves there a bit rattled, uh, and and Gordon asks uh, in private, you know what you know, what's what was her take on it? And she basically says there's something missing. She doesn't know who it is, but there's something missing. She points to like her heart basically. There. There's something missing there. Um and of course I Gordon says, you know, uh something I need to know about this this last meeting of yours. Um we don't get to hear anything about it and I don't think we will get to hear anything about it for, for a while um or maybe not you never know what twin peaks right um but her line have... is
2: great because she's like you and i will have a talk someday gordon and then she kills another smuggler of vodka yeah and says like cheers to the fbi yeah, oh. yeah. oh so good so good oh diane oh i love <laughs> you so much I, I i wish you were my my aunt
3: yeah, Diane. Oh,
2: but yeah, like Lord Durns killing it. It's a great character. And and it, it really is this tense, great scene of, you know, again, this operates on such an esoteric level. Yeah. But it's 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 the moment where a lot of these characters are beginning to understand that the Dale Cooper they have is not Dale Cooper. And yeah. uh anyway. So Doppel Cooper is being taken back to his cell, and he says he needs to speak to the warden about a strawberry. <laughs> and the guard's like, "Whatever, man." And he's like, "Trust me, you need to tell him this."
3: And yeah, because we we know that there was the warden was uneasy when Cooper hacked the phone. Uh, you who know, after should I that- call? mr strawberry and and the warden was like what the fuck how does he know that um so there's something going on there we don't quite know where that's going to go and until the end of the episode and then we'll know where it's going to go um in fact technically into the next episode as well but uh so yeah yeah so um, all interesting yeah so uh twin peaks
2: uh back there um we get the reveal as we mentioned earlier that the dude never shows up to meet andy yeah. Um, we do get a glimpse at his house, though, where you see the door is open slightly. Yeah. And it's just ominous music playing to kind of let you know, like, oh, there's probably some shit that went down, which yeah. is why he didn't show up. Um, but, okay, so then we get Doppel Cooper in the warden's office. And he has the great moment where he he's like, you know that dog leg? There were three more. <laughs> and they went out with the information that the you know he's saying the warden is thinking about to people yeah. who he doesn't want coming around and the warden's like how do you, you how do i know you know anything about any of this and mm-hmm. dopple cooper just says george McCluskey. and then the warden is like fuck he knows something and so dopple cooper lays out his demands he's like i want a car i want ray monroe to come with me and I want quote a friend in the glove compartment
1: mm-hmm. uh
2: and he wants it at one o'clock in that morning and then he, uh, and he says, and I want you to remember if you start thinking about should anything bad happen to me. I want you to think about those dog legs <laughs> and he says and if you let all this go, I'll never see you again, and no mm. one will ever hear about George McCluskey." or the late Mr. Strawberry yeah and that's where he leaves it but Duncan speaking of unpacking things
1: ooh
2: fucking dog legs <laughs> I like the the idea that it's just like a note taped to a dog leg mailed to someone
3: yeah it's like the like a, some sort of hipster version of a carrier pigeon um, right it's like <laughs> the evil Wes Anderson oh <laughs>
2: <laughs> doing it all boutique and whatnot,
3: I send everything by dogleg. It's so, it's so so weird because like on on the on the the face of it, it's a fairly inconspicuous comment to say, like there was another three dog legs. Yes, that's right, dogs have four legs. Um but it's all it's all the implication of what might be and we don't get answers to it. And part of me be cool not to know who Mr. Strawberry was, not to know who the other guy is and not to know anything about the dog legs. I think the scene's perfect. Just in that we are seeing something wholly weird but we know without details the implications of what that conversation is. They don't need to explain anything. That message has been relayed to the audience well with a, with a dog leg Yeah. Um, yeah kind of love it. it. It's,
2: there are so many, like if they did a prequel series that was just the adventures of Doppelcooper, uh, it would be the best. Like it would be the weirdest thing you ever saw. Anyway. Well,
3: um, this is what I'm hoping for, for like obviously the, out in November is the follow up to the secret world of Twin Peaks which is the, what's it, the the dossier of Twin Peaks, or the secret dossier of Twin Peaks, which apparently will fill in the blanks of all the characters in between the end of the first book and the beginning of the series. Amazing, I can't wait. So I'm hoping we get a ton of uh, Tammy's investigations at the Doppelcoup. I hope we get the full thing. I want to know exactly every bit of information. I want to know about Venezuela. I want to know the works. Um, but we're going to get it all in the book. So when sp- it comes out in November, and it's like ridiculously cheap just now to buy the hard book, so or to pre order it. So pre order it. I'm going to get the audiobook as well.
2: Yeah. Oh, man. I really, really, really want to know about the dog legs. Uh, so <laughs> uh, at the old Lucky and Seven Insurance, uh, Janie E uh, is waiting outside E. By the statue. <laughs> anyway, so uh, Tom size <laughs> Tom Sizemore is uh, in Dougie's office, and he's like, "Hey, what were you and Bushnell talking about?" And Dougie, of course, is just uh, Bar. uh, <laughs> and and he's like scribbling some more shit on some files. And um, Tom Siz- Sizemore is understandably frustrated with the fact that Dougie is just not saying nothing. Yeah, and uh so then the sexy office worker that was uh kind of the bathroom lady uh from the previous episode uh she shows up and she's like hey the the cops are here to talk to you dougie and she kind of makes the come hither motion with her hands and he does the Mm -hmm. same thing and she's like oh you want the cops in here because everybody's a fucking enabler around dougie they're like (laughs) something's wrong with him but we're just gonna we'll meet him more than halfway on whatever he's doing (laughs) to keep this facade going
3: uh um, i love the, like Sizemore's like facial expression when he knows the co- cops are there it's like still playing it kind of cool as if to, like nothing to see here um right no, uh, no acts of impropriety yeah cops oh i love cops
2: but uh unfortunately i can't stay uh because of all the cops shit no i like cops uh all right bye and so he's gone <laughs>
3: oh so good so so good <laughs> and uh,
2: and so the cops come in and, hey, welcome to the show, David Keckner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and okay, yep. whammy. Yeah. And immediately, uh, Dougie. Chicken of the
3: cave, Bo, chicken of the cave. Have you ever seen Anchorman, too? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man.
2: Bats are the chicken of the cave, is one of the best <laughs> lines I've ever heard. <laughs> Nobody says that. Um, yeah,
3: that's. <laughs> Anchorman 2, highly underrated. It's it's no. It's, I think it's very very fun. I don't think it's like it's don't no, no, what I think in time it will be judged a bit better than what it was. This release very much like Anchorman. I think the longer that goes on, the more people will actually yeah. say you know, there's a whole lot of gold in that movie. Sure. Chicken oh. of the cave is amazing. No. Chicken of the
2: cave is one
3: of the, uh. one of the greatest <laughs> things ever.
2: Uh, so, but and immediately Dargy is like badge. And and Janie, who has gotten tired of waiting for Dougie downstairs, rolls up into Lucky Seven and sto- in time. <laughs> storms in, and Janie is on a
3: roll. Well, well, yeah, and like in and the timeline, she has just spoken to the guys uh, who were trying to extort her husband for for money um, and blackmail him with pictures of him with his mistress, etc. So she just dealt with him. She just finished that whole "We are the Nighting" percent um, and you know that, that that whole run and how dare you in this day and age for shame and all the rest and she's went to pick up dougie and now she's walked in and the police are in there and they're gonna get a piece of her mind Bo. they're gonna get a piece of her mind oh yeah and immediately
2: uh she's like well what's going on and they're like well we're here about the car and she's like yeah it's missing thank god you're here where's his car <laughs> and they're like that's why didn't he ever report it missing and, uh, and you know, Dougie, Dougie it's just like, stolen. <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, zzz, nothing at home. Um, and, uh, Mullins then like, so they're like, well, why didn't you report stolen? And Janie's like, well, we're reporting it now. It's stolen. Who has the time to do all this shit? And, and, and Mullins comes in and she's like, and he's like, well, if they're here, they must've found the car. Right. And then Dougie again, she's like stolen, and <laughs> uh, and so the cops are like, yeah, well it we it was involved in an explosion and there were deaths involved, and the people killed were in a stolen car ring. And Janie's like, well, there you go, they <laughs> stole the car and then it blew up. What
3: do you want from us? And, and, and totally, <laughs> totally, totally <laughs> amazes me. I love Midnight Run. Midnight Run's like one of my favorite comedies ever. Made. Oh God, yeah. Yeah, I I love I love uh, Charles Grogan's character. He's like that. when they're trying to get the money from the the uh, diner, like pretending to be FBI. The litmus like configuration, that. yeah. Yeah, he he's, he stands there and he goes, <laughs> he goes, hey, can you remember the man that paid with these bills? And he's like, yeah. And he's like that. He's, About six feet tall. and The guy goes six six five. And he goes dark brown here, And the guy goes light colored. Sounds like her man. <laughs> so it's like it's, so this, it's exactly the same thing here. It's like the, you know, uh, oh the car. Yeah, of course. The car Well, it's storm. Well, there you go. That's why it's missing. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, why did you report? Her? And she's like, there's more to things in life than cars. Right.
2: right. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Like again, Naomi
3: Watts just killing it. She had to get Naomi And the cast the in this, like the cast, is just killing it across the board are just killing it i think all the new additions are brilliant
2: thanks um (laughs) we'll get we'll get back to you little fucker uh so (laughs) um then they're like well look we need you to fill out some paperwork but you can do it later just at your convenience just swing by when you can and we'll work all this out um and I also like the way that when uh, she's like, "Okay, good evening," and Dougie is like, "Evening," and like his mouth works a little extra, like he's trying to figure the word out or something. Yeah, it's like again, it's just Colin McLaughlin being a great actor and doing weird, fun stuff with this role. But, um, but even Mullins is like, "Hey, I got something. I got some more questions about those files." But you know what? You can wait till morning. Have a good night. I'll see you later. And so Janie gets him out of there and he, and then tells him that she took care of the gambling money and also tells him, like, hey, this money is going to be for Sonny Jim. Yeah. So, hands off, fucker. Don't gamble anymore this way. Yeah. And then Duncan.
3: <laughs> our buddy. Our, our little buddy, Ike the Spike. <laughs> Zuni fetish
2: doll, Ike the Spike, rolls into town <laughs> with
3: his ice pick just... <laughs> But, he's got to, but this time he's got a gun because he doesn't have his ice, his ice pick's got right. uh, brutally bent in the last episode. So he appears out of nowhere and shades of the old coop spring into gear with martial arts position. Not only does he throw uh, the only Watts aside, he, gr- he grabs the arm of like, the spike, twists it round to put the gun down so it fires. Karate chops him to the throat and then like tries to pry the gun from his hand and then inexplicably for no reason at all, um, the arm. The doppel. The mantle- I, I
2: I thought this was the doppelganger version. Oh. Of Mike's arm because it was like squeeze his hand off.
3: Ah, see that's better. I think that's good. It that makes a bit more sense. Yeah, but basically it says squeeze his hand off. So keep keep some like like you know the the, the tension on the arm, and then Naomi Watts comes up behind starts. Kicking him in the back, it's a hammer and poor Ike. He gets another cratty chop to the throat for good measure, and then finally lets go of the gun and runs off. Um, happens to leave something with the gun, which we'll find out in a second. But yeah, just this. We we jump to like a nighttime police report saying, "I love this. Everyone's being interviewed on camera." Um, and, and you know we have a the we watch basically. You know, and I, you know, she did the, you know, and. Uh, you're, I started kicking and I started shouting, and um, you know, uh, and then the woman starts talking about uh, victim. No, Dougie Jones was a hero, brought him down, and we see attached to the gun a piece of Ike the Spike's hand, like a, a rather meaty bit of flesh which has been torn off, and the and the and the, the, the altercation, um, and they take it as evidence. I don't know if anything's going to come of that. But it's quite interesting that, you know, his instincts, some of those uh, Dale Cooper instincts kick in yeah. to gear uh, when pushed. I've um, oh. already seen that with the gambling. We've seen it with the being able to tell whether someone's lying or not. And, and now in this terms of, like, self-preservation.
2: I I also like uh, the one dissenter that they interview. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> oh, I don't know. He moved like a cobra. <laughs> I, I, that really made me laugh. <laughs> Dougie Cooper, Cobra. Uh,
1: snake.
3: Uh, anyway, <laughs> Dougie Cooper is snake pleskin.
2: Oh, that would be amazing.
3: Dirt. <laughs> Dirt.
2: <laughs> Der- yeah, really. Yeah, it's just derps is all through the the score. Derp, 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 derp,
3: derp, derp, derp. Uh,
2: anyway, <laughs> I was gonna let you go till you stop. Uh,
3: <laughs> I was taking my break. Okay, it. okay, fair enough. All right, at the, we always
2: have a music break on this show, listeners. You just got the yeah. part of it. It's one of <laughs> one of us derping our way through a song. <laughs> I'm doing Taylor Swift. Uh, at the Great Northern, Duncan. Uh, yes. Ben and Beverly are trying to track down. Uh, Beverly, of course, Ashley Judd. Uh, well, are trying to track down this weird tone. Yeah, that seems to move away from them. Like it seems to come from a lamp, and they go towards the lamp, and then it seems to move away from them and uh so as they're trying to track this down beverly is like oh hey by the way this thing came in the mail and it is the key that jay dropped in the mail last episode
3: yeah jay gives two rides. uh jay gives two raids uh, <laughs> i bet
2: she does mister still one of my favorite jokes it's, it's real good um <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, you could just do a super cut of Naomi Watts just
3: ranting through this She's show. She's so good at this show. She's so good. I'm kind of hoping somewhere down the line we get Laura Dern and Naomi Watts in the same scene. I Ugh. think my I think my head will explode when it happens. But it would be it would be so
2: great too to have the real Agent Cooper, like the non Dougie Cooper, dealing with her as well. Uh, (laughs) I was just like, hey, sorry I was an idiot but, you know, (laughs) Black Lodge Um, (laughs) Black
3: Lodge Uh, So, (laughs) anyway just an excuse you can use Whenever you do anything wrong, prematurely prematurely ejaculate, oh no Black Lodge (laughs) Black Lodge Uh, (laughs) Why are you going
2: through my mail, Black Lodge? Uh, So (laughs) Sorry, just I might hear from my neighbours a lot so they (laughs) (laughs) so as bit's looking at the key he's like oh my god this is the room that dale cooper got shot in and she's like dale cooper and and he's like yeah he was here investigating the the murder of laura palmer and and she's like well who's laura palmer he's like that's a long story in fact two seasons and two books long and and a movie (laughs)
3: If you want to find out more about that, listen to Duncan and Bo go to Twin Peaksies. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for <laughs> plugging the
2: show, David Lynch. No problem. Uh, so, <laughs> 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 uh, and, But as the scene kind of moves on, there's a little bit of like sexual tension between these characters.
3: Yeah, well, we know that ben has a wandering eye um has had for quite a while and um ashley judd's she's into it she well and she's aging well yeah
2: yeah no she's kind of giving him the like the landing lights are on (laughs) so you know and i think ben is still trying to be a pretty decent guy here he's not being overt or anything but they are very flirty with one another yeah, and uh, so you know, huh, huh. way to go, Ben. Uh, watch old this dog. To see what happens. Arr, arr, arr. Uh, so <laughs>
3: <laughs> wait one second. This dog has no legs, <laughs> right?
2: <laughs> uh, dogs have four legs. Uh, anyway, uh, the, so but you know, we kind of end the scene with more of that tone, just seeming to kind of come from. The wood itself, almost. Um, Yeah. So Beverly rolls home, and we get a little bit more of a of her backstory, where like her nurse Marge is on the way out as she's walking in, and it turns out that her she's married, she has a husband named Tom, and he is very very sick.
3: Yeah, potential cancer or leukemia, I think here. Right. Um, something horrible and yeah it looks like he's dying and she is trying to i mean she's rolling home late and she's been told that dinner is pretty much ready it's on the stove and um she obviously comes in and she's just trying to get through the day she's just like can i get you something to eat and he's just like well you're late and we see very quickly how stressed or, or a change in the veneer of the character where she's just like you know listen I'm having to go back to work I don't want to I, I didn't thought, didn't think I would have to but they're paying really good money and it means I have to work hard and all the rest and I could do that without you being on my fucking back um, and you will not fuck this up for me and he's just like uh. <laughs> he's like stuck in his wheelchair just like uh. um, although I don't know who the actor is that plays him but he's got some piercing eyes I thought I recognised him Um. But I have not taken a note of who the actor is. But he seemed familiar. Like I have seen you in something before. Huh. Um, uh, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't immediately. We will, we will find him, that but, out yeah. probably between episodes. But yeah, he just lo- There was something familiar about his face. But yeah, she pretty much lays into them, and I get the feeling that maybe she's accepted that job for ulterior motives. Oh. <sighs> just saying that's the babe i'm getting maybe she thinks she can play old ben horn
2: like a french horn perhaps so and and you know i do have a lot of sympathy for her husband in this scenario like he's kind of a dick but also it's like
3: i get it man like
2: yeah you gotta watch
3: that chair while your wife's all dolled out going to work in a hotel with some locally known pervert right
2: and you are you're definitely not fucking her at this point no, no, you, no, 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 no. You ain't got the looks, Look at her. Heart. Yeah, right. Look, look at her. She's got needs. Right. It's a whole. Uh, what is that? Lars von Trier, breaking the waves.
3: Yes. yes. Yeah.
2: It's that that kind of shit. Uh, so, by the way, <laughs> check out that. breaking the waves. That's a good movie. My God. <laughs> um. Okay. So. Uh, after Beverly tells her husband not to fuck things up for her, we go to the roadhouse where uh, Jean-Michel Renault
3: is uh, tending... This scene goes on explicably long, by the way. This is the one of these bits... Like, I, I understand certain bits slow and paced down. And I understand certain scenes being overtly long, but I don't know if this is an in-joke with... I don't know if this is an in-joke or not, right? Because we get ostensibly about two minutes of a man sweeping up debris on the floor before anything happens. And when we jump back to the Roadhouse, your instinct is, oh, right, well, this is the end of the episode, right? Yeah. It's not, though, because there's still story to go. Um, But we have two minutes of a man in, in silence. Well, no, not in silence. There's music playing in the background. But uh, no dialogue. A guy sweeping up debris is uh, Jean Renault's brother, whatever his name is, is at the back. Um, and then Just he kind finally of count gets, money and shit on the board. Yeah, he yeah. finally gets a phone call, though, um, and answers the phone, and whoever it is is arguing about the, how much he's having to pay for two 15-year-old prostitutes that got sent his way. Oh, they're located to me. Which is exactly, I mean, he's like, "This, the, uh, the, you know, the the house has been in the family for 56 years, and you're like, oh, here we go. And he, But they're, they're all pieces of shit, these Renaults. None of that has really changed at all. They're yeah. Every single one of them, piece of shit. Um, and he's like that, you know, uh, two 15-year-old A, a students, uh, whores and all the rest, and he will pay for two because I sent him two. And we're like, well, who is he talking to? Who Like, What what is going on here? Is this just to remind us that the Renaults are pieces of shit? Because trust me, we've not forgotten both. We had a lot of, jean renault in the previous uh and and, and the, Jacques, yeah. The, yeah and the diary of laura palmer and you know and fucking firewalk with me we've been through this shit
2: yeah <sighs> the, yeah no the renault's uh are, are garbage people no question about that um yeah so it, i you're right it, this is one of those scenes that seems inexplicable and then you know three episodes from now we're gonna be like it was
3: genius yeah, uh, we're like, we're like, did, did you see who did it master stroke ball the act of a madman who is also a genius right
2: i at first i thought the show was going to go out on that as kind of a gag like hey we've been doing musical numbers well here's what happens after the a, leaves. But The show
3: does actually go out on that gag
2: yeah well yeah very much so because all right so we go from that scene the the renault scene to doppel cooper yeah getting let out of his cell and uh along with Raymond Rowe. so the warden's cave to you know whatever doppel cooper has on him is is enough and, and a
3: strawberry bowl. uh
2: do what he <laughs> has a strawberry on him oh sure <laughs> uh so so the guard uh like escorts them to a car he gives uh a cell phone and keys to uh uh doppel cooper and the warden kind of stands on a parapet and watches Doppelcooper and Ray Monroe drive off in this rental car. Yeah. Blackmailed to fuck to let this guy out on the streets again. Yeah. And uh The warden's
3: gonna have some explaining to do from a certain guy called Gordon Cole.
2: Right. I, I mean God's own thunder uh may soon run down <laughs> on this on this warden. Uh but not before <laughs> we, we get to uh, you know, a thunderous explosion all its own in the next episode. Uh, oh God, yeah. Uh, all right. So, but yeah, the so uh, the show closes after after the scene of Doppel Cooper driving away with Ray Monroe. We go back to the double R. Somebody rushes in and says like, hey, "Has anybody seen Bing?" And then yeah. leaves. Yeah, which I took Duncan obviously as a dick at Microsoft. Um. <laughs> and- <laughs> <laughs> that's a real
3: nerd <laughs> joke. <laughs> but, that's that's incredibly witty, bro. I don't know why I'm surprised, but that was actually really well done.
2: Oh. <laughs> Thanks. So awesome. uh, you can
3: always Google it, bro. Uh um,
2: But yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, and and then um, you know we just kind of watch the goings on of the double R for a minute as as oh, customers eat and 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 we fade out there. Uh, and obviously all the questions posed by this episode are answered in episode eight, which is a comprehensive, almost encyclopedic, if you will, uh, detailing of the inner workings of Twin Peaks, uh, leaving no stone unturned and nothing left unexplained.
3: Uh, well I, I, What I would say is, once again, if we are looking at the show as being essentially... An eighteen-hour movie, like Twin Peaks says, uh, sorry, as David Lynch says uh, about Twin, Twin Peaks: Return. He says it's essentially an eighteen-hour movie. If we split up into three acts, this would be essentially the end of the first act. Episode seven would be there or thereabouts the end of Act One. Yes. So it kind of explains, and I know a lot of people were like, "I don't I have no idea why Episode Eight goes the way it does." I would say that Episode Eight is probably primarily positioned to start. Uh, Maybe delving into some of the backdrop of some of the stuff we have seen since the very beginning of the show and giving us a bit of, um, uh, I was going to say a bit of detail in the background of things. It raises a lot of questions, which I think we we will be able to tie in, but at the same time, things that we won't. So, uh, yeah. So that's that's the end of this episode. Uh, bloody good episode, thumping good episode, actually. Yep. Like they've all been thus far. Um, Boy, Diana's yeah. good. Oh, Diane is like uh, that's like I. It's almost a given. Like I said to you when Diane's character was announced for this one. I mean, it hadn't been mentioned that Laura Dern was going to be playing. Her, but it was almost a given, like Laura Dern's relationship with with uh, David Lynch going back many, many movies now. Um, but yeah, she's she's incredible, uh, like almost like show stealing performance. But yeah, we're just getting a lot of everything's just hitting on like full cylinders at the moment. The time we're spending in Twin Peaks is, you know, a mixture of really quirky and at the same times kind of dark. Um, and the time we're spending outside of it is also. Depending on which character you're following, uh, a sum of very quirky with a Dougie Cooper, um, and very dark with a with a Doppel Cooper. So we're we're getting we're getting as as a mixed bag, but all of it is amazing. So yeah, I'm loving it, absolutely loving it. Um,
2: yeah. Oh man. All right. So uh, we are going to put our break right here. Uh, so listen to the following show available here on legionpodcast.com. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about episode eight, the uh, basically children's coloring book of Twin Peaks episodes. Its <laughs> simplicity of design. So, uh, all right, we'll be right back.
0: This is not a test. This is the psycho Podcast. Announcing the commencement of the annual purge sanctioned by the U.S. government. Weapons of Class 4 and lower have been authorized for use during the
1: purge. All other weapons are restricted. Government officials of Ranking 10 have been granted immunity from the
0: purge and Shall not be a few days ago, I called the news the enemy of the people, and they are, they are the enemy of the people.
2: We have Ben Jacobs, that's the Guardian reporter,
0: body slammed tonight by the Republican candidate like living with a six-year-old. I do want to be honest. I'm not able to uh, be rushed this fast, it makes me nervous. That is one big pile of shit. Well, then you two learned a very important lesson today, cops don't jump. It's a frame! Now's not the time for fear.
2: That comes later. Can you fly, Bobby? In the 20th century, the Senate voted on seven Supreme Court nominees during election years, and it approved all but one.
1: So just to, just to put a button on this, are you doing it out
2: 100%? Yeah.
0: Are you crazy? Is that your problem? Politics, movies, political movies. The Psycho Semantic Podcast. Better known as the Psycho Semanticast. He did what we all must learn to do. You and you
2: and you and you. Got a light. <laughs> That's
3: so, creepy. it. Gotta <laughs> What kind of reminded me of? It uh, kind of reminds me of, um, thanks for the ride, lady. <laughs> uh, yeah, very similar, except much better. Uh,
2: <laughs> shall we, Duncan? I think, bo we shall. Episode 8 of Twin Peaks The Return is a heady blend of 2001 A Space Odyssey and Invaders from Mars. Uh, we... <laughs> It's it's more true the more you think about it. We open yeah. on Ray and Doppelcooper in the sedan. Uh, where they have just fled the prison. Uh I'm I'm hovering with my coffee mug so close to my lips. Hold on. uh, mm. oh, that's a damn good cup of Joe. Uh so Doppelcooper says there are like he pulls out this device, uh, this Twin Peaks technology, and he's like, Hey, there are three tracking devices on the car right now pull up close to the truck ahead of us and so they do and uh doppel cooper like types in the license plate of that truck and yep. then tosses his phone question mark his tracker device out the window
3: yeah because it's once again twin peaks tech magic it's, it's
2: bls 12. magic
3: yeah it's, uh, it's, this is a uh, doppel cooper tech for some reason works differently to tech everywhere else, which I'm once again, 100% cool with. Um, so yeah, we don't, I, we're assuming that he has transferred the track into that truck. Um, and they are now scot free and nothing bad will happen in the next five minutes. Nope, absolutely not. Uh, in fact, Ray
2: even thinks Doppel Cooper for getting him out of jail. They're, they're, they're buddies <laughs> is what they are. And so Ray asks where uh, Daria is, which, of course, we know Daria is dead as shit. But Yeah, and <laughs> one of the more uncomfortable scenes we saw this season. Are you going to kill me? Yes, darling. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> uh, so Doppel Cooper tells him, oh, she's someplace safe. And uh, that Ray wants to go to a place uh, called the farm. And Doppel Cooper is like, you ought to go the, to the place you're thinking of. And, um, Ray says like, Hey, I got the thing you want and I've got it all memorized, but I think the information I have is so valuable. Maybe we need to strike a new deal here and maybe it's a little more valuable. And Doppelcooper's Cooper's like, you do, huh? She pull off the highway, which is always a good idea. You know, it just gets you out of traffic. (laughs) <laughs> you see the land a little more and that's what doppel cooper wants he's a tourist um and ray pulls over so he can take a leak and as he leaves the car doppel cooper gets his friend the gun from the glove box and he uh he gets out and he says i want that info ray and uh doppel cooper when ray refuses doppel cooper tries to shoot him but the gun is uh is is empty and Ray has a gun of his own and he shoots Doppelcooper a couple of times, which was really surprising when I saw this for the first time. Yeah. I was like, fuck, man, Doppelcooper just got shut down. But then, Duncan, huh. uh, some shadowy figures appear uh, in the form of these kind of, you know, l- lumber ghosts. And they're uh, all around Ray and Doppelcooper, Doppelcooper especially. And they seem to be kind of rubbing his blood all over him.
1: Yeah.
3: Um, not necessarily repairing the wound bowl. No, 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 no.
2: Not, they're not there to heal necessarily. But they're not like yanking intestines out or nothing. But they're kind of using the wound to, to smear blood around and whatnot. And then a little bob head in a sack. Like not... S A C K, more like an SAC, like a fleshy Cronenberg sack. Yeah. Uh, is there and Ray, quite understandably in this scenario, fucks off. Freaks the fuck out, then fucks off. Right. And then Doppelcooper just kind of disappears for a sec. So uh we follow Ray in the car, and he calls Philip And says, I think Doppelkooper's dead, but I think something showed up to help. And he says, something came out of him, and that may be the key to the whole thing. Yeah.
3: And then Duncan... (laughs) Maybe. Like, that may be the key to the whole thing, and I was like, eh?
2: Well, okay, so Ray (laughs) knows Philip Jeffries and knows something about all the Black Lodge shit. Yeah. So again, Ray knows a whole lot more than I
3: ever gave him credit for. But then Philip knew stuff about the Black Lodge shit. He did, absolutely. And so, so, you know, he he had been there or he had we assume he'd been there or he'd been involved with it somehow. So you can only imagine that's how the two of them hooked up, you know, uh Doppelcooper uh, started working with uh Jeffrey's. After the event of the end of the second season, you would assume,
2: maybe? You would assume, yes. Uh, Because, you know, as we know, once he left the Black Lodge, Doppel Cooper contacted uh, Albert. No, uh, Philip contacted Albert, but uh, uh, Philip was contacted by Doppel Cooper. So, anyway. So, uh, again, this whole network of people uh, working with Doppel Cooper. And Philip Jeffries, one would assume... Is unwittingly working with Doppel Cooper, thinking he's Agent Cooper. Yeah. So anyway, um, then we hee haw over to Nine Inch Nails.
3: Yeah. W- welcome to the show, Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails. Right. Which I, which I think is t- to me once again, this is the because this is a movie and we're splitting up into our episodes. Nine Inch Nails close out the the first half of the season kind of or the first part of the season because right after nine inch nails are finished playing um she's gone i think is the song um live at the roadhouse they're referred to as the nine inch nails as well I which like i kind of love kinda ladies love and that.
2: gentlemen the nine inch nails
3: yeah i kind of love that plus i mean trent resner david lynch long time collaborators have been working together since um lost highway where uh, Trent Reznor actually did the soundtrack uh, or curated the soundtrack for that movie. But uh, lifelong friends, love each other. Um, like, literally love each other. I think uh, they're one of those relationships that David Lynch, I said before, has this weird, like, penchant for, like, industrial metal music. <laughs> it's kind of weird uh, for a guy that age to be into it as he is. But at the same time, we have Trent Reznor, who very much I, I loves the creative mind of a someone like david lynch and a lot of his music videos have been very lynching at times um so yeah they appear
2: at the roadhouse yeah uh, it i mean it's it's fun and it, it's an interesting performance and it, it's shot really interesting i mean it's just kind of a cool nine inch nails video and it, it, yeah
3: it's, and when it yeah when it finishes to play the full song but when it finishes shit gets cray yeah so we Almost normally cut back
2: to Doppelcooper, who wakes up. Yes. And then shit pops off. Yeah. So cut to July 16th, 1945, (laughs) White Sands, New Mexico.
3: Yeah. Nothing bad happened there No, on that date. Nothing bad at all. It was an an average day. Good day for a barbecue bowl. Remember, pack that sunscreen.
2: Well, you're going to want it, Duncan, because... (laughs) Uh you immediately hear uh a countdown begin. Yep. And then uh rocket summer ball. Can I get a high five anyone? <laughs> it is <laughs> in, in fact all right, so here's my note on this is that all right, the the explosion goes off and there is a gorgeous slow motion black and white tracking shot towards it.
3: Yeah, it's which one are of all things the... kids love. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna say one of the most. This particular scene is one of the most uh, beautifully shot pieces of cinema I've ever seen. I think this is incredible.
2: Yeah, it is. You know, like the mention of two thousand one is not accidental. It is like the scene of going into the monolith. It's Mm -hmm. that kind of thing because what we do in this situation is the camera goes into the mushroom cloud. And deeper and deeper into the raw explosion of energy within that. Yeah. And inside that, Duncan, is a 1960s acid trip. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's just, it's groovy as fuck. And, like, it's just flashing lights and weird sounds and, and uh, like, this crazy imagery. And then we go to a convenience store. Yes. Where the lumber ghosts reappear or appear. A convenience,
3: a convenience store that has a lot of uh, stacked up cans, Bo. Yes. Yeah. Which, these, uh, after
2: these cans. Uh.
3: Yeah. <laughs> uh, you stole the corn. It had canned corn over the store um, from firewall with me. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, so this links in, this one saying i've done my I've done a wee bit of research on this episode because I became slightly obsessed with it, and this one like for anyone that's like Lynch is winging it, Lynch is really not winging it at all like almost everything in this episode directly relates to things we've seen before um and then hypothesizes new new um uh, theories as to to things we have seen that were not explained
2: yeah well, it's kind of the origin of twin Peaks in a way. <laughs> Yeah, uh, is what we're seeing in this episode. And yeah, not it, not
3: not the lodges, not the lodges themselves. The no, lodges have no, no, no. existed for 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 forever, but some of the characters we've seen inhabiting um are, are certainly sprung out here. Yes.
2: And and so it, it, again it's got that weird kind of juddery editing like we saw with um Agent Cooper in the the building when he first gets kind of thrown out of the Black Lodge. It's that kind of weird... Yeah, well, with cutting. the women
3: with the scratched out eyes.
2: Yes, exactly. And um, so we see these kind of ghouls up here uh, walking around this convenience store. And the way that I, I kind of put it in the notes as I was sort of speculating is these, are, these almost feel like the flies of the Black Lodge. These just kind of annoying little pests. But either the, the blast of uh, the White Sands Blast either opened a door at this convenience store or yeah. it just drew enough interest that the door was opened so they could see what the fuck was going on. Yeah. It, and I'm not sure which, and maybe it kind of doesn't matter. It's just that this convenience store became this hub of, hey, these things are kind of out and about now.
3: Yeah, because, the, well, the that's where the... The apartment is and fire what right. with be.
2: Yes. Is right above this convenience store. And so meanwhile in space, Duncan. <laughs> uh this amorphous maternal creature vomits out a string of cosmic eggs.
3: It's interesting you should see the mother creature bow.
2: Yes. Could and... this
3: could could this be the mother banging at the door?
2: Very possibly it is it it is the source of some kind of of horrible creation, as we will see
3: also um, it's worth noting as well it looked very similar to the floaty creature from the box, the glass box right at the beginning episode yep,
2: one absolutely so uh one could very easily speculate, although we cannot prove it at this point um <sighs> or that, might never be able to prove it or it might well, let's be honest be but, <laughs> but 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 it could very well be that this is. This is a creature that that thrives in some way on on chaos and destruction, yeah, and because during this moment of the of this nuclear test of you know uh it's like the old Oppenheimer line, like I am become death destroyer of worlds in this moment, and as a result, there seems to be an aberration of the normal cosmic space eggs in in the form of Bob that she vomits bob up into existence at this moment of destruction. Yeah. And there there is something both intimate and incredibly cosmic about this. Um and so then we we get more visuals of the kind of the, this explosion of of life and, and creation and from the the ferocity of this nuclear fireball Duncan emerges this gold reflective orb
3: yeah, and I mean are we, once again maybe I'm looking quite maybe I'm looking a bit too much into this now but it can't be any accident that our blue rose section of of the FBI the, 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 the head of that department has a picture of what looks like said explosion behind his desk yeah. Yeah. And, and,
2: you know, when when you get into the secret world of Twin Peaks and, and we'll see this, you know, coming up in a, in a few moments, but yeah. there is a lot of talk about like, hey, the military at this time was deeply involved in the, these kind of blue rose cases. Yeah. Um, and, and we kind of see the genesis of that coming soon. Um, where uh, well, we'll get to it, but we we get to a desert in New Mexico, then it's probably Roswell. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> so, and, and also notably, as we come out of this moment, Duncan, uh, the piece that's playing is called "Trinity to the Victims of Hiroshima." Yes. Uh, so it is this wailing orchestral string piece. That in a trinity, uh, for those who don't know, like myself before I looked it up, um, <laughs> is, is a wailing ode, it is a mournful dirge of a, a piece of music, yes. And
3: as, we, as a classic latrine musicians, knew that,
2: book. Well, as somebody who grew up on Leonard Skinnerd, Trinity was not the first thing I thought of. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Sweet, Ho- Sweet Home Alabama doesn't really fit into that tale. I mean, like, Dream On is more of a Trinity, am I right? It's... <laughs> Dream on! Sing with me! Uh, all right. Uh, I don't think either of us are going to be able to pull off a reasonable Steven Tyler. Maybe. I mean, in his prime, now we can. We're just like, hey, nah, Eat the rich. Uh, <laughs> eat me! Eat okay. me! I'm rich. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, you got the right key, baby, but the wrong keyhole. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the last like the Crypt Keeper. <laughs> 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 Sorry. <laughs> he went, like, if you were to cast a real-life Crypt Keeper, Stephen Tyler is in the conversation. Oh,
3: he's right near the
2: top. <laughs> right, you want to, you want to get him in for a callback. Uh, yeah.
3: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. The scenario of uh, don't call us, we'll call you. You would call. A hundred
2: percent. Yeah.
3: We need. We need you to just be you,
2: just like that. Do you? And you're, you are the crib keeper. Uh, so, meanwhile, Duncan. <laughs> on purplish seas oh yes uh yeah and again the you know a, a similar color scheme that we saw when when uh agent cooper first arrived ashore uh in his own travels through uh i don't know dimensions i suppose infinity yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we we move inside a building perched atop the singular island in in this sea and inside the building is a room where uh, Florence Foster Jenkins is listening to old-timey music, uh, all in black and white. Yes. And there's also a big ass bell thing in the room, which begins to sound some kind of alarm. Yeah. And hiding behind the big ass bell alarm is our old pal the giant. Yes. Who peeks around. Is like, hmm. And <laughs> yeah and he does he kind of shuffles over to it and the whole time the woman doesn't move anything she just doesn't seem to care and so the giant shuts off the alarm looks back at florence foster jenkins and she's just sitting there uh doing her thing and then off he fucks yes all like all of this they're all dressed as if they're in an early nineteen hundred silent film yeah, or like characters in the backdrop of the Gold Room from the shenan. V Yes, that too. Um, so the giant climbs this big set of stairs and goes into this theater, essentially, mm-hmm. where there is a screen. And, and on that screen, the giant watches the, the blast, the yeah. nuclear test. And <laughs> my my note there was, hey, he's watching Twin Peaks too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> We'd have a lot to talk about. So, hopefully, he's listening to the podcast, Bo. Yeah, I, oh, if only. Um, <laughs> so, but he also, in addition to seeing the blast, he also sees the 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 lumber ghosts at the store, and yep. he sees the birth of Bob. Yeah, and with the image of Bob kind of frozen on the screen, the giant begins to float up into the air, like you do, like you do, Bo. And and then Flores Foster Jenkins shows up, and uh, is just kind of watching as the giant begins to exhale this golden light. Mm-hmm. And she seems to either be awed by it or pleased by it or something. It's not like, like a negative. Like the golden light seems to be a positive. Yeah, within the realm of Twin Peaks, like the child who died was an innocent who, you know, turned into this golden mist and. And in the midst of this destruction, then Duncan, to offset the scales, yeah, yin yang, that's, that's what we do, Bo. Right, it, like the giant, uh, like he appears to be in Marvel comics terms, Duncan.
1: Uh-oh.
2: Uh, the giant appears to be much like the Watcher in that he is an observer of of a lot of these goings on, and also. Uh, unlike the Watcher from the Marvel Universe, is is able to affect some kind of change to set a balance back in order.
3: Yeah, so if if Bob, for example, is a Black Lodge spirit, then this would be a White Lodge spirit. Right, a, a, an
2: equal and opposite reaction to, yes. to the destruction. Yes. And so, uh, with us so far, folks, um, and so the the giant's exhaling all this golden light then a golden orb comes out much like we saw you know coming out of the blast of, of the explosion the woman catches it and then kisses it yeah and then she releases it so that it can float up into a big wes anderson tube <laughs> yeah which aims at this like old school universal logo image of earth mm-hmm. and the golden orb floats into the screen and then descends to earth so again i think this is all as weird as it all seems it is ultimately the positive reaction to the negative reaction we already saw which is the birth of bob we are we are now creating this this counterpoint to bob which we are sending from the dimension of the White Lodge into
3: Earth. Couldn't couldn't help but notice we missed an important detail there, like the face that was inside the golden globe. Which was? Uh it's Laura Palmer, is it not? No. Yeah, it's Laura. But, 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 but think about this. What does that mean, Bo? We're in nineteen forty-five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the face of Laura Palmer is in this. Ball the face of Laura Palmer. Not just any face, the face of Laura Palmer from her prom photo. The one that we get every the beginning of every if, if, of every episode. This face is in this golden ball. What does that mean, Bo? Well,
2: like let, let's. But, but, but Laura Palmer think... has
3: always been the innocent though.
2: I mean she she was
3: corrupted,
2: yes. But yes. she always represented the innocent.
3: But there was a Laura Palmer spirit in the Black Lodge. Very true, right? And remember, remember what uh, if you remember what the man from the other place says about her. He says that she is his cousin, right? Right. So we're going to assume, like cousin as in spirit, or of like maybe cousin as in I am from the Black Lodge. She is from the White Lodge, right? like an entity right yeah so maybe maybe we're hypothesizing here that's why bob had to control her that's what was driving but remember remember bob just didn't want to in previous ones bob had been killing people running amok having a good time as bob do but bob didn't just want to kill her bob wanted to have her yeah he wants to possess her, yes. Yeah, so which is the, you know, so this is kind of giving a bit more meat on the bones of this one because why would Bob, the, you know, the ultimate chaos fun bringer, and uh, I'm using fun and like, loose quotation marks. Sure, You know, sure. like, mischief and chaos. Why would he want to possess Laura Palmer? Maybe it's not that he wanted to possess Laura Palmer at all. Maybe he wanted to possess her White Lodge spirit. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, and and
2: weirdly, Maybe. I think we are going to get resolution to some of those questions.
3: I'm hoping so. Yeah, because yeah. it looks like someone's actually put some thought into this. Yeah. So <laughs> I like this episode. As,
2: as crazy as it all is, like I, I I feel like we're 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 getting the fundamentals of it, and this yeah. does feel like something that is mythologically important enough that they're going to pay it off. Yeah. And and they even kind of begin to hear, which is we we all right. So after the. The golden orb descends to earth then we go to 1956 new mexico yeah uh again the desert somewhere in new mexico and one of the eggs that we saw the mother creature vomit up hatches yes revealing a half frog half insect monstrosity (laughs) abomination it is an abomination it's a disgusting looking thing but it's also amazing (laughs) <laughs> it's got like it's an insect front and then it's got these kind of frog amphibian legs that it can't really use quite right and it's pushing it forward and it's just gross. And then we see walking by the convenience store we saw earlier, uh, a boy and girl. And, uh, you know, it's a 1950s era, very Lynchian kind of visuals of black and white. And she's in the sweater and the pigtails and blah, blah, blah. Yep. And she's like, oh, look, I found a penny. It's heads up. How lucky. Because she's a lucky girl, uh, as we all know. Um, (laughs) And the boy's kind of uh, flirting with her and whatnot. And, you know, it's just kind of a setup of like, oh, they're near this convenience store. And then in the same desert, drifting down from the sky like goddamn Superman, is one of the Lumber Ghosts. And you, you know, hear the usual scratching noise and stuff like that. And then starts, you know, wandering into the desert and we see a car stop as they see this guy just kind of walking by the side of the road.
3: And he leans over and he's like, gun light. And that's exactly how that both by the way, that that is fucking spot on. It's like this almost there's electricity in his words as he says it. Yeah. Um, and it's it's very a couple of things about the visual imagery here, and this is where like I am like let's all praise David Lynch as like our new ruler and overlord. All hail Lynch! Um, the use of monochrome here is like it's great. It's all black and white. I love that, right? I, just as, as an aesthetical choice, I think is incredible. But the these these guys here have like a variation of kind of blackface and their eyes have I would like to say have been digitally edited to be whiter around the you know kind of cornier than they generally would be they're incredibly white and the incredibly white cigarette which has this unnatural light on it at all times compared to the light in the rest of the room and he leans in and we get that you know good light and you're like oh right and he just there's no expression he just asks it again and then there's another one at the other side of the car. The wife freaks the fuck out. The guy puts pedal to the metal. And of course, because we're in 1956, the car rockets away at 30 miles an hour. Because um, <laughs> things were slower then. Um, and he drives around to another car, which is stopped. We don't see anyone moving in that car. I've got a theory <laughs> that maybe something bad happened to the people in that car. Um, and whilst I didn't know what it was then, I have a good guess now, but we'll find out later yeah uh not, not, oh my god but they have to swear to miss another one so there's a couple of these guys kicking about
2: yeah it, i and again it's this sort of notion of like hey this door has been kicked open and these things are just kind of loose among us uh yeah. to some extent and um so th- then we cut back to the guy and girl and um you know they're just kind of doing that or, kind of young date, small talk, a very yeah. innocent feeling conversation about like who's dating who. And they're kind of flirting. And then the guy walks her home and, and asks if uh, he can kiss her. And they have this kind of cute bashful kiss. And then she hurries inside. um, And she goes to bed and everything's fine. Um, So we cut back to the, you know, the first lumber ghost that touched down that we saw. And he sees a radio station mm-hmm. a radio station and tower, and just starts heading for it and While my prayer by the platters plays, uh mm-hmm. we see other people who are listening to this radio. there's a mechanic, there's a waitress, and also the girl that we were following with the guy and had the little you know bashful kiss and So the lumber ghost rolls up into the station. And the receptionist, or whoever it is that's hanging out there, assistant or whatever, uh, is like, Sir, what are you doing here? And he just goes, Got a light. And, <laughs> which is, uh, again, super creepy. And then he uh, squeezes her head to death. Yeah.
3: <laughs> death by head squeeze. Yeah. Like, and it's not. Th- th- this is to me the closest we will ever get to out and out horror at the hands of David Lynch. Like, just like a pure scene of horror, right? Maybe next to Mulholland Drive with the scary thing that comes from behind the wall. Um, because it's not just that he grabs her head, but then the camera shot changes. We get this very distorted, jagged, like shaky camera effect, and blood pours out of her forehead as she screams face contorting um to the ground. Um sure when you say and, it
2: like that it sounds
3: terrible. Uh, yeah, terrifying. Uh, as soon as he does that he's like kind of doesn't even bother to wipe his hand off. He turns around and there's a guy, the DJ, playing the music that's occupying the town and he just makes a beeline for him. He's like, yeah. And then like grabs his head and doesn't immediately kill him. He just
2: kind of turns off the, the record and decides to rock the mic like DJ Lumberghost. <laughs> yeah. So this I,
3: is the water and this is the well. <laughs> yeah. <It's> like, but <laughs> and So th-
2: this is what he starts saying. <laughs> this is the water and this is the well. Drink full and descend. The horse is the white of the eyes and dark within. Oh, and the, and it's just over and over and over again. White horse as well, Bo. White horse. Yep. Uh, which is representative of death in the Twin Peaks universe, and um and and it's also drinkful and descend. You know, yeah. it's it's there is definitely some dark shit at work here. Yeah, uh, Black
3: Lodge is down, by the way. It's down, not up. Yeah. So, ladies and gents, if you're descending, you go in one place. That Black Lodge. Um,
2: welcome to the Black Lodge. We have backwards talking all the time. Did you see our statue? Just got the one. Um, so <laughs> then we we start cutting around to all the people we saw listening to the radio earlier, and they're just toppling over like whatever it is that this message conveys, along with the words. It's just dropping people like sacks of potatoes. And. Yep. Then Duncan, uh, we cut back to the awful frog bug that is yeah, still, <laughs> still just frog trucking bug. along. Yeah, <clears throat> like it. If it could make a noise, that would be it. That would be the noise. Uh, except like more annoying and awful. Uh, <laughs> and then all right, so we see the girl lying down listening to the radio, and it's the you know this is the water and this is the well and um she like just lays down to listen to it as opposed to just passing out like the other people we've seen yeah and we then we see the frog bug use its wings did we tell you the frog bug has wings that's how awful it is yeah Uh, like just to add a new level of nightmarish imagery to it it can fly it's a straight up mist bug It's like one of those things. Yeah, yeah, boo. And so it flies up to her window and then onto her bed. And then it crawls into her mouth. (laughs) And it had like one of its legs has to kind of kick to get its body all the way in. It's just, whoever was animating this little CGI bug, uh, first of all, I think it looks great. And second of all... The detail of how gross this thing moves yeah. is amazing, and uh, so it crawls into her mouth and goes down her throat. And the meanwhile, DJ Lumber Ghost uh, finally kills off the DJ. Like squeezes his head, like shit splatters onto yeah. the floor. Yeah, and then off he fucks into the night as you uh, hear the occasional whinny of a horse. Again, uh, seeming to herald more
3: death to come. Yeah. And that now, oh, is episode eight. That is episode eight. Now, now, popular theories flying around about this episode. The girl. Right? The girl with whom is now uh, impregnated with the frog demon bug thing. Uh-huh. Right? Um popular theory is this is actually Sarah Palmer. Huh. Okay. That she's got a touch
2: of the, that's why she has a touch of that black lodge magic in her.
3: That's why she has a touch of the, that she has the second sight, which is obviously passed down to Laura. Um, so yeah, the, the reason this has popped up is that eagle eyed twin peaks. Watchers, uh, have done the math uh, and the, they have worked out from apparently the twin peaks wiki, <laughs> that sarah palmer uh was sarah palmer's character is born in nineteen forty five so she would be roughly about the age of this girl um it was it nineteen fifty six so like 11, 12 or something on like that um she'd be roughly the age of this girl uh in New mexico and i believe that I, the character is also listed to have potentially potentially um Oh, no, sorry. The cat was born in 1941. Sorry. Um, So, which would make more sense because she'd be, what, 15? 15. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. 15, which would be a bit more sensible for dating and stuff like that. But I believe they're from the same part of the world as well. So, this could be uh, the beginning. And also, Uh, it would be like a counter move almost.
2: Because assuming that between the White Lodge and Black Lodge, time is, you know, time's a flat circle. Uh, <laughs> where the like time exists kind of all at once, uh, yeah. as it seems to, um, in a very vonnegut-like way, that the Black Lodge could be trying to infect Sarah Palmer because they knew the Laura Palmer countermeasure was coming. Yeah, and what better way to give her? I mean, just already give her a little hint of uh the the horrible shit to come. Um,
3: yeah so it's, yeah. it's a popular theory once again we cannot confirm nor deny said theory because me and bo are literally in the position of anyone like chances are listeners listening to this know more than us now because me and bo know nothing beyond this point
2: right i in fact as soon as we finish this i'm gonna watch the next two episodes <laughs>
3: so only two though let's yeah let's no, try no
2: no to- I, I only two but i i'm gonna watch the fuck out of those two episodes <laughs> uh because i i'm really I probably have watched them twice before we
3: record maybe three times actually
2: sure oh i'm just excited to see i mean truly what comes next like after an episode like this how does this tie back into the mythology because for again for all the criticisms people level at, at david lynch for being too obtuse and and inexplicable i find most of his shit makes sense if you follow his own logic uh, yeah. and I feel like that's where we are with it. So, um, man, just I, I mean, really, truly, i a, a, kind of a milestone episode of television in that it is so unlike anything I've ever seen a television show do before.
3: Yeah, it's never uh, been
2: done. It's it, it's incredibly ambitious. I like. I get it. If people bounce off this show, I understand. It is not. It is not for the timid this is a show that is going to make you work for understanding. And also uh, like, I, th- I think the, <laughs> to, to uh, quote a, t- a bad movie, the juice is kind of worth the squeeze on, on uh, Twin Peaks. Uh, I would argue I like, I, when I watch these episodes, I just find it like wondrous that yeah. it is as adventurous and, and still incredibly entertaining and and surprising and scary and funny and all those things. I mean, I just think it's an amazing show. And th- this episode in particular is one of the finest examples of Twin Peaks you'd ever see. Even though, whoever could have predicted going into Twin Peaks The Ease. Like, hey, just keep in mind, we're building up to that episode where we go inside a nuclear explosion yeah. to reveal the birth of Bob. Uh, it's incredible
3: it's to me it's like David Lynch first and foremost is an artist like before he even I believe if you asked him he would say he's an artist before he would say he's a director and you can see this is probably one of the most stunning visual examples of what can be done on tv that you will ever see I think I can't like I can't think of anything like that. That shot, that tracking shot of uh, the the you know the atomic bomb going off, I have never seen anything like that in a in a TV show ever. I've never seen it in a movie before either, where it's you know it's choreographed to intense music, um, and just the uh, we are being treated, we are being spoiled, right? With with eighteen hours of one of and I've said it before, you know, an tour by the very, you know, by his very nature, the epitome of what an tour filmmaker should be, um, and David Lynch. And he has given us everything. He is like he is this is where you know, like when right, we're gonna right David, we're gonna give you a show, we're gonna let you do your show on uh, Showtime. We're gonna give you a budget to do it. But we're going to need you to do this, this, and this. I don't think that conversation came up, and if it did, David Lynch didn't listen to it and i I think that we should all be thankful that Showtime have not stuck their neck and on their nose into anything the show's done and that's the this episode to me is the epitome of a network just letting this guy do what this guy does um with a, with a degree of confidence that. You know the numbers haven't been great for Twin Peaks, um, but I think by Showtime standards, have been good. It but, drove subscriptions, and that's what they care about. Yeah, exactly, and I think that's that's what they that's what they want, and you know, get people to look at their other content on there. It's a great vehicle to do it. I think there's almost no way that we get to like the Emmys. And Twin Peaks isn't like clean sweeping everything. I I can't see how it doesn't, and I can't see how this particular episode isn't marked out specifically for cinematography or you know or for you know score. I I I don't I don't know how this one just doesn't. Like to me, this is the most exciting episode of TV I think I've ever seen. In that, it kind of resets the rules. Like, TV can do anything now. I mean, it could have before, but it's taken someone with the fucking balls on this guy. It's taken someone like David Lynch to break TV. You know, like, the the conceptions, the the ring-fencing people think they have, like, break it. And, no, that – I mean, he could easily have done his – Twin Peaks of Return, and not addressed any of the things that are addressed in this episode. You don't need a Bob origin story. He's kind of given us one. And guess what? It's better than I ever thought it could be. It's better than my imagination thought where Bob could come from. From the heart of an atomic bomb. I mean, like, how fucking rock and roll is that? Yeah. (laughs) It's the most metal thing ever captured on TV. It's it's phenomenal. It's jaw-dropping. And like I said to you, what, two months ago, my my quote on this episode was, if we had to sit through 18 hours of David Lynch doing Twin Peaks and the rest of it was mediocre and we got this episode out of it, worth it. Hands down worth it. Never seen anything like it. Uh, probably will never see anything again like it, unless there's another episode like this in the season. and don't think there is. It, incredible.
2: Yeah, it, it it truly is uh, a remarkable piece of television. And even, I would almost say, even if you're not watching Twin Peaks, if you got access to this episode just to, even if you don't know nothing about nothing when it comes to Twin Peaks, I, I'm not saying you would understand it, but it would be one of those things of like, oh yeah, that's clearly <laughs> one of the craziest things that television has ever done.
3: Yeah, just uh, skip right to the bit where the bomb goes off if you if you've got no interest in anything else. Just skip right to that bit and sit and watch 45 minutes of it it made me as excited as I felt the first time I watched a racerhead to where and I can imagine people watching a racerhead back in 77 and sitting down just going who is it David Who <laughs> David Le- I've never heard of this guy. What the fuck is this? Just like Operating in a completely different level to anything else around, um, yeah. It and is. it's like he managed to capture that in a TV episode. Is mind blown.
2: Yeah, I mean, he is—he's playing a different game than everyone else uh, when yeah. it comes to to making films and television. It's just it, uh, like there, there's no rule book. It is just the story he's telling. And it's amazing. Uh, Yeah. So, yeah, we've got two episodes neither of us have watched ahead of us yet. We don't know what's in store for us. I think maybe we bring back an old segment. Uh, Do you dare, Duncan, predict what comes next? Oh, right.
3: Um, So uh, my only prediction is that at this moment, my only prediction is we we get some uh, doppelkooper a wreaking vengeance, um kind of Samuel L. Jackson style, uh, on, on our buddy Ray. I think we, we know he's still alive. Um we know he's still a Vec Bob. Um and I think there is a very good chance that uh, vengeance uh will be we, we swift and just um and out with that I would like to think we get a bit more of a tie in with a bit more of a time with some of the stuff that's happening in Twin Peaks. I'd like to see some of that move a bit quicker. So I'd like to find out what's going on with that dude that didn't show up for Andy, where he's disappeared to. What's, where is Robert Horn? Or Richard Horn, sorry. Where is Richard Horn? Where's he gone? Where's he vanished to? Uh, I'd like to see Audrey. I know she is in the show, um, but I don't know when she's coming in. I would like to see some Audrey. Um... And, yeah, at, at, at this stage, I'm kind of hoping we get, even though I know um, that it probably won't be as quick as I'm wanting, I kind of want to see movement towards getting Dale Cooper in this show. Um, but, yeah, apart from that, after this episode, all bets are off. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I would agree. Like, I, you know, the pieces are falling into place for Dale Cooper to to reassemble himself, and I am, look, you know, obviously looking forward to that because – i i love the dougie stuff but you know you you want to see dale cooper you just do um but yeah i hope you're right i think doppel cooper uh is is gonna get rowdy um they're probably gonna be there's probably gonna be more dog legs is all i'm saying (laughs) uh and i'm looking forward to that uh i'm i'm looking forward to to uh a little bit more about this kind of mother character like what you know both of us know that that's kind of a thing in the in the season and we've gotten glimpses of that, but I'm looking forward to to some more of that. And quite frankly, I'm looking forward to um, meeting Philip Jeffries. Like, at, at some point, I know that's coming. And I'm excited to do
3: that's, that. How do you handle that? Because David Bowie's gone.
2: <laughs> how do you, man, but how do you handle Diane? I mean, you, you just go in there and you fucking rock it out like a man, Duncan. And that's exactly what this show does again and again.
3: This is true. This is true.
2: You know, I mean, yes, uh, you're you're absolutely right. It's not going to be the same the same character, uh, or the same actor. But I don't know, man. I mean, I, I in in Lynch, I trust at this point. Just do whatever. Agreed, man. Uh, uh so, uh, Duncan, boo. Uh, before we get the hell out of here, uh, what would get you get like? out of here? Get out of here. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> I was gonna say like we'll be back with a more, you know, logical pair of episodes next. We don't summer. know. I have <laughs> no idea. It could be ter- I, God only knows. Um uh, <laughs> But until next we speak about uh the two new episodes of uh of Twin Peaks. Uh when where can people find you?
3: Uh you can find me at the podcast under the stairs. It's available on iTunes. I mean come across to the Facebook group page, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash t cast or the website t dot cast.com. The show is also available on Legion podcast network. Excellent. Uh, I
2: would agree. Uh, legionpodcasts.com is where you can find all of uh, all the stuff that I do as well, including the shot cast and here, uh, here, go show and blah, blah, blah. So all that Uh Also, Um, Who do we want to feature this week, Duncan? Uh, We recently talked about The Witch. We talked about Hello, This is the Doom show. Uh, How about the Psychosomatic podcast?
3: Yeah, I think that's a good show. Darren does more than his share of um, making memes of what me and Bo say in this show. Uh, In fact, he's the driving force. He visualizes a lot of our nonsense. Um, And he also has a fantastic show. I'm about to appear on his next episode talking about a little movie discussed here as well, <laughs> interestingly enough. Um I get a chance and opportunity to talk about best of enemies. So uh and that was a ton of fun. Excellent man. Uh yeah so uh check that show out as well
2: and uh, and thanks as always to Darren who recently posted up uh uh pictures of David Lynch as a cowboy that I'm I, I do for uh, Yeah, it's premise and and thanks to all of you for listening we we sincerely appreciate it uh thanks for hanging out with us and 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 talking about the uh the glory of of these recent twin peaks episodes uh and we will be back of course in uh in one week to discuss two more uh anything else from you duncan are we done
3: we are done sir i think we are done and dusted i think we can now take a well-earned break ah and watch more twin peaks twin peaks bye everybody
2: Bye!
0: The Eastern world, it is exploding. Bottles flare, bullets loaded. You're old enough to kill, but not forbidden. You don't believe in war. Well, once that gun, you're totally... It's bound to scare you, boy.